Three, two, one, ghost face. Hey, everybody. Welcome to three, two, one, ghost. I'm your host face with a silent G. And if we've learned anything about ghost faces, there's always at least two, and it's always someone you know. So I'm joined by my co-host face, Natalie. <laughs> hey, how you doing? I like that. I like that. Good job. I'm doing doing better now. There you go. Well, I get to be a host face, too. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> Hey everybody, we're talking <laughs> we're talking about 1997's Scream 2 in our Scream series. You know, again, like yeah. we explained at the beginning of the year, we're starting uh starting off every month, at least for the first six months, until they who knows, maybe they July they surprise us with Scream 7. I don't know. I think it's kind of unlikely given mm. that whole shit show. But uh at least through June, we're gonna be talking about one Scream movie a month. So welcome to Scream 2, y'all. I don't think we'll be getting a Scream movie in 2024. I'm just going to call that now. I have a little, you know, it's the thing is, is I have a little bit of trauma, you know, it's like with Paranormal Activity, with Saw, with, I mean, even with like those recent like Halloween trilogies where they'll tell mm-hmm. you when every movie's coming out and, or it's like clockwork, like every single year, you know, every mm-hmm. Halloween for at least gosh from 2004 to 2012 probably you got a saw Mm -hmm. movie every single year or it was like alternating between saw and paranormal activity these fucking movies you have a what less than a year between scream one and which is wild that this movie is so great considering that timeline right your gaps are like 11 months three years 11 (laughs) years 11 years (laughs) And then like a year and two months and then question mark. So yeah. it's very inconsistent for us. It's, been a, it's been a wild ride. So I think we really didn't know how good we had it in mm-hmm. 1997 being like, hey, y'all, we're getting the movie like super fucking quick, um, especially to have everybody return like that. Like, I guess mm-hmm. nobody had anything going on that following spring or something because you've got um you know Wes Craven back to direct this I know that he was Mm -hmm. I believe he was on contract to do at least a couple sequels so we knew Wes Craven was coming back um and then Kevin Williamson um who wrote the first one uh at this at the time showrunner on Dawson's Creek I think at this Mm -hmm. point yeah um, he was like he was doing a lot he was big shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was hot, hot shit, Kevin Williamson. It's kind of like what we're talking about with, uh, you know, like Jennifer's body and Diablo Cody. Like, I don't, off the top of my head, I just can't think of like, maybe outside of like, you know, Tarantino and some others, but like where like you could like market like who the screenwriter was the way yeah. you could market Kevin Williamson in the late 90s. So um, true. So Having him back. And then, of course, you know, same thing. Like, you know, he wrote, you know, um, what was it? Like Scream on a spec script and then also offered mm-hmm. the outlines of both of two sequels. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much of the outline he wrote for Scream 3 came into mm. fruition. I don't know. But at least for Scream 2, damn it. I keep can't mention future movies. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's OK. I think that didn't spoil anything about the movie. Thank you. I'm sorry, y'all. Scream 3 exists. I'll allow it. <laughs> for for make... context, everyone, one of the rules of talking about the Scream movies is that we can only talk about, so you can say everything you want about Scream and Scream 2, Kyle, but 
but you cannot talk about Scream 3, 4, 5, or 6. Only this time around, um, kind of a la, you know, uh, that first Ghostbusters movie, um, I am hooked up to a very rickety machine that is giving me electric shocks for every single time I break this rule. So we're, we're hoping that that that's that uh negative consequence mm-hmm. will uh will help a little bit so we're gonna we're gonna see how we do okay so we're gonna just keep each other honest we'll see so um so kevin williamson wrote the spec for screen five or at least an out or sorry just wrote like an outline for screen two sorry <laughs> <laughs> damn it okay we're off to a great start everyone oh, no. <laughs> oh no. So he wrote the outline, but um, you know, just the ability to come back, it makes sense why he was writing a lot of the stuff on the fly. Um this movie was I mean, the first one was such like a fucking like hit and really mm-hmm. like and again, like in a lot of ways changed kind of the the course for, you know, horror movies, especially teen slashers, um yeah. in the late 90s and kind of going forward. But this you know that movie was hot shit and they wanted to get that shit made super super quick and everybody wanted to be on board so but again like just how kind of miraculous it was that it still got made that quickly and Mm -hmm. spoiler alert like is like a perfect movie (laughs) you got some people that argue that it's better than the first and you know like we'll get there Mm -hmm. but um i'm just trying to think the last time that's happened anytime you fast track a sequel that usually means like oh jesus this is gonna be yeah really bad i think they did the right thing because when you think about all of the slashers that have these like ensemble casts and all these things following scream they probably knew like they saw the impact that they made and were like oh shit we need to get on top of this and make our sequel fast before all these shitty movies start coming out. And then no one wants to see scream Two. So I wonder if that was a thought process of like, get it out as fast as we can so that we're still like leading. I might be wrong, but I think scream two had like almost the same or slightly higher box office as the first. It's like it almost like exactly the same, which is wild for like, a sequel for a horror movie and how high those box offices are like it's really impressive and well-deserved and you know we've talked about before like you know one thing i love so much about these movies is the is the murder mystery element you know Mm -hmm. which is not you know nothing new just you know masked slasher movies right they they all are generally whodunits you know Mm -hmm. when you get to its core but the lengths and and the series would be known for this, but the lengths they would go to keep that mystery a secret, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember just, especially because the, the internet was, at least the, the internet as we understand it and being publicly available was still very was new in the 90s, y'all. <laughs> and I just remember one of the earliest things I remember hearing about this film are, were all the... Uh, the false scripts that were getting like leaked or Mm -hmm. all the different killers it could have been, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, and then hearing like a little bit now we're like, you know, who knows exactly what happened? You know, I think some say that a, you know, a script was leaked where it was, you know, Derek and Hallie. And mm-hmm. so then they changed it, but then Kevin Williamson, you know, I mean, as recently as like a few years ago has said like, no bullshit that was that was intentional 
you know, we faked it. We actually even like faked, you know, a script where Dewey was the killer, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't think of any of the others off the top of my head, but, um, Derek and Hallie is the one that I'm the most familiar with. Like, I think that was their, like their big fake fake out. If it really was, um, either way, it doesn't matter. It was a good way to throw people off, but like this cast is so much bigger than the first one. The possibilities of who the killers could be are endless and their why is endless. So like that for me makes this one really fun. I think the whodunit aspect is like a lot deeper than the first one can be because there's just so many characters moving in and out of their space. The only thing I noticed even just in my recent watch was that how public a lot of these kills are. Um, Yeah. And compared to the first one, which is very yeah. intimate, you know, like whether it's in, and by intimate, I mean like some ginormous million dollar house in <laughs> Central California or more than a million. Yeah. Those are big Multi- fucking houses. I mean, at least, well, yeah, in 1996 dollars, I don't know, but or, you <laughs> okay, know, in maybe a, in 1996 dollars or in a small garage, which I complimented the shit out of being able to get that much mileage out of such a small space mm-hmm. um, or the inside of a van or in a principal's office. It was all very intimate in, in the first one. And, and I know we'll be jumping and talking more dissecting kill by kill as we go. But um, not only was your cast bigger in terms of like, it really could be anybody around at any moment watching you as we see with the killer and his little video camera, whatever, but just also the kills are just so out where everyone can see you too, at least Mm -hmm. some of them, you know, I mean, um, and I'm being a little, little, you know, generous with how I'm kind of defining all of each of those, but yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. But I do think it, it does come at the sake of not feeling as intimate even when the killer reveal tries to pull us back there to that intimacy i i don't know if it completely works but we'll get there too you mentioned the cast mm-hmm. let's you know which which is also you know our de facto um industry legend giveaway award <laughs> moment um yeah yeah let's 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 start by focusing on just our returning survivors yeah and then as we kind of as we kind of roll through this scenario we'll uh we'll just introduce our our new faces as they come yeah and we'll try not to leave anybody out yeah i'll make sure that we don't i've got a list of everyone and i will check them off as we go so if we leave anyone out we can circle back at the end um because yeah, there's there's a lot of people in this movie and a lot of amazing people. Like what? I didn't look it up, but the budget for this must have been insane. Just it for was, the actors alone. I think it went from like 12 million to 25 million, something like that. So double. Good for them. Wes Craven could have all my money. All of it. Kevin Williamson but, too. But gosh, especially with how just busy everybody was with other things. I mean, like, you know, Nev Campbell, Nev Campbell was still doing Party of Five, right? Courtney Cox is in Friends. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and Jamie Kennedy probably doesn't have much going on, but hey, this was knows? his this was his thing. You know, <laughs> he just kind of blew up like later somehow in like it was in a bunch of comedies and like also had his like TV show. I don't know. Oh, but yeah, that terrible show. So Wes Craven contracted for multiple films. Uh Kevin Williamson, when he sold the script, ideas, multiple films, his involvement. The only cast member that was guaranteed to come back was our heroine, our final girl, Sydney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell. Um, she was the only person guaranteed to survive that first movie and any movies afterward. So Fun. that makes sense. But that just yeah. shows how, like, dang, how how hard... They really believed in her. <laughs> or they just really felt confident that they would make it work with fucking Courtney Cox filming friends right i think even like and then even some of the other cast members coming back but our other cast the new cast members i mean because a lot of people were on like tv you know especially the who played the 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 college kids um but yeah dang so how do you feel how do you feel about sydney in this movie compared to the last movie or where where we left her at the end of screen one okay maybe i'll maybe i'll like kind of go do you mind if i go through all three like our top three are Nev Campbell, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox. Yeah, which is not we'll through all three. Them. Okay. So for Sydney, I actually feel like she's almost just a heightened version of her own strength. So like the way you're introduced to her, like she's not taking shit from anybody. So like she already wasn't taking shit in the first movie, but now she's like really not taking shit. So I love Sydney in this movie. I think she like didn't need to go too far from the last one and Nev Campbell I think is really fun in this movie she does a really she gets to do more I almost feel like like you see her smile and laugh more in this one you get to see her having a healthy relationship like things that you didn't get to see in the first movie and she's like just more of a like just grown like she feels like a grown adult even though it's only like two years after high school like or is it if they said two years right yeah, it's I always at least forget a couple, that. It's at least yeah. a couple of years. Yeah, so I love that. And then for Dewey, my one criticism of Dewey in this movie is that I feel like they really like put a magnifying glass on his like goofiness to the point where it's just like it's almost too much for me. But I always love Dewey. I still love him. The outfit that he's in in this movie, that dumb outfit that he wears the whole movie. I fucking hate that outfit more than anything in the whole world. And every time I watch it, I'm like, could we just not have put him in a T-shirt? It's the worst. That khaki jacket has nothing to do with him as a character. But I just had to throw that out there. Um, but everything between Dewey and Gail is a total win because her being what feels like it no that's not what feels like what is even a more stone cold bitch at the beginning of this movie and dewey being like extra just like cutesy and soft like the two of them together is like just water and fire and it works so hard like their chemistry is so good but Gail and the way everyone's introduced in this movie, like Gail walking into the screen, Sydney's like, you know, like answering the phone and being like, fuck you, Corey Gillis. Like the whole, their introductions are so good. And then meanwhile, Dewey's just like looking around lost in the campus in the middle of the grass, like use the sidewalk. What are you doing? So 
I know. I was like, is he just like wandering around that tree? Yeah, exactly. So I like, I like that, like that little thing that's going on there. And I also like Randy's like confidence in his like film geek role. Cause now he's in a school that apparently focuses on the arts very heavily. Um, so yeah, I really like seeing all of our returning characters, even leave Schreiber, like, Cotton is a character that I think is really interesting in this movie. We can talk about him more in depth, but um, just getting to see more of the Cotton character, I think is really fun. So very happy to have all of the, like the returning cast back. And I like the way, I just like that you like know them and they're strong characters. Cause you don't get that from slashers a lot when you watch a movie and then you watch a sequel. It's just like one person carrying through, like they're really good just tight-knit group I love it yeah I think so too and I think that they were fleshed out well enough in the first movie that yeah you're right I think you feel very comfortable with everybody I Mm -hmm. think um yeah do we really lean into the goofiness (laughs) I love Mm -hmm. um you know I forget whose idea it was for him to have that limp yeah because it only is in this movie I don't know how that stuff situates yeah. itself and heals. I don't know. So maybe, right? He said it was nerve damage. And um, that that's not an easy heal. No. It's so nice to see everybody come back. I think it's hard mm-hmm. to see um, year two between like Nightmare 1 and 2. And that didn't have any of the same cast outside of, you know, Robert England. Uh, Robert England. And also because Ghostface, you know, by nature is a different person every time. So far, two movies in, we don't have any repeat Ghostfaces. Not yet. But we have Roger Jackson. Well, except for Roger Jackson, who can, you know, literally. He can always be Ghostface. Literally phone it in, you know, (laughs) as he does. (laughs) I I hope he does. Um, The other fun thing about this Mm -hmm. is, like, was this planned that Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox were like, you know what, let's just get matching haircuts. I'm just going to part mine down the middle and have streaks and you do a side part. Like, they have like twin haircuts and they kind of have twin haircuts in the first one as well. Like the wispy bangs and the shoulder length hair. They'll give Sydney a haircut and then, oh, I think I like it because it's like it shows that Gail is desperately trying to still be as young as Sydney, right? Yeah. And then also like not so subtly imply that this movie really has two final girls, right? Or the final Mm -hmm. girl or final woman, as I said last time. But yeah. So I think you should dress them the same. They should be, you know, I I I like them being similar in that way. I don't know. That's a dumb theory. And well there's nothing better than like them having that same haircut but then obviously like gail's wardrobe is always so just like oh that's so good but like everything she wears looks mean like and then sydney's like wearing like soft like suede jackets and like fall colors and gail is just wearing this fucking black blazer that's shoulder padded with this gold embroidery on the shoulders like she's just fucking royalty just fucking walking with purpose through this campus like she's not lost she knows right where the fuck she's going there's no tree circling for gail um she's so that's funny to see them like have that same haircut and just be two completely different women if anything yeah you're right like you know dewey's goofiness is reinforced the 
the film nerdiness of Randy's reinforced. Mm-hmm. Um, Sydney is even fucking tougher and doesn't take your takes even less shit, you know, mm-hmm. than last time. And you're right, Gail comes in, and I'm like, this just made her like even fucking meaner. Like, oh, I it's love so it. Good. I just want to just like just one day just say all of Gail's lines to real people and see how they react. <laughs> Look, local woman. <laughs> like, I love it. That's so good. So we talked about our main cast, our returning survivors. Uh, sorry, Mr. Prescott. You know. You I know. We, we really, uh, we fucked Neil. Okay, he's gone. No Neil Prescott for you. So, and apparently doesn't care enough to come up to this college, nor does anyone's family. <laughs> no, no one's parents. Well, that's what I liked so much about Jennifer's body was at the end, you know, and <laughs> she's killing Jennifer. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess they're teenagers with parents. Huh? I guess Jennifer. Yeah, also like the mom walks mom in up. the room and is like, what the fuck? Yeah, like <laughs> it's my teenage daughter. I don't know. One thing that I think these movies retained from the 90s or from earlier slashers is that I feel like as they go, the less like kind of detached from reality it is. And like sometimes I have to like really be like you have to watch this movie and be like, no, no, no. These are like 20 year olds being like stalked and brutally murdered. And then like mm-hmm. when you like conceptualize it with especially the trauma that so many of them experienced in the first one. And you're yeah. just like, nobody is like relating to anybody on any human level. Everybody. No, they just... really keep it together. I love this soundtrack, by the way. But boy, does it feel so inappropriate. <laughs> it's certain yeah. times. Yeah. So Oh boy. Um, so these movies are very famous for their opening scenes. This, mm-hmm. I would say this, I mean, fuck the opening scene for scream, you know, could function as its own short film. Right. Mm-hmm. And it is usually pointed to pretty deliberately as, you know, a pillar of, of suspense and, and slasher movies. Right. Like, and to also, you know, like, yes, this is, you know, I mean, you see these movies called like horror comedies a little bit, but like that shit like fucks me up. And that shit is, you know, it's just such a strong opening. And you got to wonder, how do you even approach trying to match that or even top that? Do you think they were trying to match it or top it or just do something completely different? You know, I mean, I think at the very least, you know, I mean, if you ask them, they probably won't say like, oh, well, I mean, I don't know. It's that the whole idea is sequels are supposed to be bigger and better, right? Or at least mm-hmm. bigger. So how do you feel about this opening as we introduce uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps? Okay. I got a lot of thoughts. I hope you're ready. Also, like a lot of hate towards Jada Pinkett Smith right now. So I won't address that because we're just going to talk as 1997. Have you, um, uh, have you heard her metal band? She has a metal band. It's interesting. She was like, her being in this is a big deal. Omar Epps is amazing. I love both of them. So I'm going to start by saying that. I think they're great. And I love them just being in line talking about how like white these movies are. And like literally these like two amazing black stars are going to be killed immediately. So I think that's a fun, fun little like nod there. But 
what gets me about this opening and like i hate to start with negativity because i do love this movie and i do love the opening but the circumstances of how all of it plays out just feels way too unreal to me so like number one you just got in that theater why didn't you order popcorn and get soda before the movie started you're leaving in the middle of the first scene who does that you couldn't have gone to the bathroom before the movie start like why didn't we plan ahead like no planning ahead that theater's packed yet no one's in the lobby and no one is like ordering popcorn or drinks so there was no reason to go back out of the theater there's a line wrapped you know outside of the place but yeah. and then even then you see how fucking sold out the shit is but yeah. they were able to get tickets just there right on there. the spot like just go walk yes. up and get them i'm just like that does not happen yeah um I also, I had a question for you, though, because you worked in a movie theater for many, many years, and you've seen some of the biggest movie openings. Like, you were, like, you were working in the theater when, like, Lord of the Rings came out, right? Yeah. So, like, as someone who's seen a lot of, like, big movie releases, have you ever seen people acting up in a theater the way these people are acting for Stab? Yes. You have? For what movie? Star Wars. Really? Like people yeah. yelling and cheering? I mean, like... Trying to stab each other? <laughs> trying to lightsaber each other? I, I mean, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, like circa 2002, uh, your husband and I were <laughs> practicing lightsaber moves, <laughs> waiting oh, in line for the midnight of Attack the Clones. I'm pretty sure. So, uh, yeah. Oh, very. Um, so no, it happens and it's, you know, cl wow. closer than you think. Okay. So. Well, that being said, Bill Stevens, Omar Epps, his death and that knife going through that bathroom stall feels very unrealistic to me. I love it. I love watching it. I enjoy the whole experience, but the more I watch this opening scene, the less it makes sense to me. However, Jada Pinkett Smith's acting when she's stabbed, the vein work, I don't even know how you get your veins to pop like that when you haven't actually been stabbed, but it's really like giving me like real life. Um, I, I love the drama of it. So a lot of cri criticisms for this opening scene, but I enjoy the acting. I enjoy the craziness. And then like Heather Graham as Casey Becker, and that whole scene of stab is so fun. I think that was a really like a really good fun, you know, nod to the first one when they were saying like they were going to, you know, if, if there was a movie, like who would play you and who would play me? So I like it. But I mean, if you're going to compare the two opening scenes, I mean, I don't think there's there's much like I, I just consider them two totally separate things. I try not to compare them because. I think they have a very different vibe. What so, about you? So this movie is the first to introduce the movie within the movie, the, the yep. stab, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think that instead of like just trying to, well, I mean, they literally do the same thing, right? By doing a fake version of the opening scene, mm -hmm. right? That's playing alongside the real thing that's happening, which I, I mean, I think yeah. that's clever. I like it. It's um, it, it like they magnified the meta for sure. 
it's so wild to think one. Now I've seen people go that that crazy for movie openings. Now it you don't see it as much when it's the first in an end yeah. in a series. And again, this bugs me about this whole like based on a true story thing where I'm like, these are this is real people's trauma. Like two yeah. two teenagers. Two years two, ago. Two years ago, two teenage boys killed their friends, their, you know, hapless, you know, maybe a little cantankerous principal and a union <laughs> cameraman. And what the fuck? Like yeah it would be like it would be like people going out and like acting that way for like a true crime documentary in a movie theater it's like those conjuring movies are based off real Mm, things even that most recent one the the devil made me do it like this is about like a real like family who real murder case yeah like someone's murdered and then now you're telling me that like this family's traumas and yeah, the same universe as Annabelle and you're like, what the fuck, you know? And so I'm just thinking the concept of like, man, did none of these, like, I guess none of these parents were able to like sued or even ask, they changed the names, you know? So to not just like completely give these two killers kind of what they wanted and just to also look at we've we have really made a real life horror movie Mm -hmm. and it's wild to me but um so like i said i've been in these movie theater settings i've also been in a men's restroom and (laughs) you know first of all dude show some courtesy man if you're gonna don't use the stall if you're just gonna go number one like be nice there's, well, he was waiting p- for those other two ghost faces. I don't know. If I was hearing that sound, I don't know if I would be as like turned on by it as he was. Was he turned on? I thought he was just being nosy. I think he was being like a little this? Let's check. because he was it was I I don't know if it was you it was supposed to be like a child or It's definitely a, Mickey making like a child's voice saying like mommy don't or something like that. Yeah, that's Which I is weird. Know. It's so weird. So Yeah. Um and then you know I I'm not here to debate the physics of a knife going through that like that but you know I bet sure. Got to be some muscle. Um, one thing that I really love, so like your your opening scene of Stab, like the changes that they made to the Casey Becker situation of like, you've got, so you've got Heather Graham, who love her always, um, industry legend. I'm going to give Heather Graham the first industry legend award. Is that Go fair? Love okay. It. Um, but Casey Becker's house in the movie is like full like windows like there's just like glass like all over the exterior you've got the skylight so that like ghost face can like be on the roof which doesn't make any sense but like it makes it more fun there's a pool in the backyard which there wasn't before and then of course she's taking a shower there's um, a pool in Drew Barrymore's backyard there really I don't remember yeah. that at all oh my god yeah there was but wow. you know. well, I'm fired as a scream fan I guess I was too busy watching Steve's guts all over the place. Um, But 
I love to like the shower like addition of like she is making popcorn though too at the same time which is even more hilarious because like no one would leave that just flaming on their stove while they're like about to take a shower so I like those little like movie magic exaggerations that they make to make it you know more more glamorous or interesting for the for this poor girl's actual death <laughs> one of randy's rules is higher body count which we'll get through and then also more gore more elaborate deaths and i guess west craven you know got a lot of pushback on the first one and you know as far mm -hmm. as like the amount of violence in it and in this one his attempt was like, well, I'm going to make it, you know, as gory as fucking possible. So when they reject, inevitably reject it, mm -hmm. it'll be cut down to kind of what I wanted it to be anyway. Yeah. And the story goes is that the, um, you know, the movie rating, you know, PAA or whatever, were like, no, you're good. This is great. Yeah. I think I remember reading that too. So even just looking at like comparing this first opening scene mm -hmm. to especially the deaths of Casey and Steve do you which one's more gory to you I'm still um, thinking that first one Casey and Steve were like literally eviscerated so if I can see steaming intestines like that's pretty fucking gory and pretty brutal these two just got stabbed like you've got Phil through the ear getting stabbed and then Maureen is just repeatedly stabbed which you know we've seen before like, nothing really new. I mean, the stab through the ear is pretty, like, that's a thing for some people. For some reason, like, ear stuff doesn't get me as much as eyes and fingernails and the Achilles that we've talked about just recently. But, um... Mm. Teeth, too. I don't do teeth. Oh, teeth. Nothing with teeth. Absolutely well, not. Um, I just read recently that was so funny. It was like, your teeth are the only part of your skeleton that you clean. And I was like, I don't like that at all. <laughs> I mean, it's I true. It is true. But yeah, anything with teeth, I want nothing to do with it. So I I think it's more the shock factor of them being killed in the theater. I think most people walking into this scene probably thought they would leave the theater and be talking about the movie and then get killed, you know, when they're more alone. So I think the idea is to set you up for anything can happen anywhere this killer is very bold and honestly reckless um, because that's that's a risky fucking move. There are a lot of people in this theater. Well, not in the lobby, but um, it makes sense that this movie takes place in the span of like three days yeah. um, because, again, Mickey's so fucking reckless. Like he was going to yeah. go. He was going to get was caught gonna get inevitably. Caught. Yeah, um, for sure. But, you know, kind of like I said, you know, the first like, you know, it's just it's a very public killing you know public restroom mm -hmm. as well as the auditorium right um who thought that that giveaway was a good idea like the costumes not, yeah like not only i know also did you know the person who was handing out those costumes um she won some mtv contest for a walk-on role so good for oh, her oh that's so funny know, yeah i don't know if she gets like you know if she's like, you know, part of the guild or something now, but um, yeah, we'll see. Maybe industry legend. We'll see. I don't even know her name. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. The, the MTV oh walk on gosh. award winner. But I, yeah. Who thought that was a good idea? Cause it's like, fuck. I mean, I would think if I was Mickey, I was just wanting to go to the movie. Shit. 
now and then just found himself yeah. with a completely perfect opportunity to kill yeah. people in plain sight. I'm surprised he didn't kill more. And then afterwards, yeah, he could have killed a bunch. Out, and then maybe afterwards, you know, maybe Debbie's like, no, 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 bro, bro, we had the fucking plan. It was supposed to be this and this and this. And he's like, well, um, well, okay, let's, uh, Maureen, uh, at, we knew a Maureen and a Stevens, uh, Steve, that counts, right? You know, like maybe, maybe they just made it up. And that's why it didn't go very far was that he, it was all, he killed two people at random, um, <laughs> two black people. He was probably fucking racist too, and mm-hmm. and then tried to be like, well, no, 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 no. It'll it'll be fun. Let's let's connect the dots here. So that's my working theory. Okay. The other thing that I think is really fun about this opening scene. So obviously you've got this really rowdy crowd. They're all screaming. They're like, you know, sca- scabbing. They're stabbing the air. You know, they're doing all that shit. But then when it finally like quiets down a little bit and Maureen says one thing, like, you know, like, girl, don't go there. They're like shushing her. I was like, I'm sorry. Are you all the same audience that was just fucking screaming bloody murder two minutes ago? The audacity of them telling her to hush when they were just all yelling. I'm like, no, you're in a free-for-all situation, obviously. This is Star Wars. <laughs> I don't know if this is a hot take, but um, in horror movie, for horror movies, I don't mind as much when people talk in theaters or like no. react loud. Like, I'm like, no, this is, like, if it's anything, fun. it dissipates the tension, mm-hmm. you know, which is helpful, I think. But then, I don't know. I, I like that kind of communal aspect of it, so... I agree. So I, I think going to that opening, I don't know if that would be yeah, the most opportune way to watch that movie. But I'd be out of there. I'd be like, fuck this. This is not how I want to watch this movie. And I enjoy people talking during a movie, too, because it's fun to hear someone yell out loud exactly what you're thinking in that moment. But that's too much. You know, my last thoughts on that opening is, again, you're right. Um, I think Jada Pinkett Smith is very um it's funny, engaging. Yeah, she's so I, fun. I love, you know, their their interplay. Um, and then also, gosh, you know, that uh that that last whatever effect they put on that, like that scream that she gives out. That scream that like turns into like a whimper, yeah, you know, and a cry, you know, yeah. before as she's seeing everybody and everyone's starting to realize like, ah, uh, fuck. Uh-oh. Yeah. This is not, this is whatever, whatever. Um, and then when she falls dead, just how quickly and just like how just lifeless she looks. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it is very, great. it is very effective. It is a cool opening. I don't know if it's my favorite of the series but it's still it's still really fun i like it it is it is really fun for all my criticisms of that opening scene like i still love watching it and i really enjoy it and like definitely the opening kill in the first one is like amazing and could be its own like short film but do i have more fun watching this one absolutely because casey becker breaks my fucking heart every time whereas this one is like just just kind of like silly fun. I feel like it's um, more quotable too in a lot of ways. Yeah. I have my money. I asked for your money. Yeah. <laughs> Always really good. But I love that. Gosh, right into um, introducing Sydney, who mm-hmm. gets her, you know, you get her call from Corey Gillis, as you said. Um, oh, fucking Corey. 
We've got caller ID now. A lot's changed between uh, December 1996 and December 1997. Yeah, we've we've grown as a culture, evolved. Yeah, this is my favorite. This is my favorite part of these movies is you get to watch the telephone evolve in many ways. So your cordless phone, or no, she has a corded phone still. You could hook a caller ID machine to your telephone. It was its own separate little device. So where you see it saying Corey Gillis, it, if only if your number was listed. So like now, you know how it always says unknown. It doesn't know who's calling you. Like if you were listed in that phone book, your shit was on that caller ID. So Corey Gillis did not do his due diligence before fucking with Sidney Prescott. And I love it. I forgot that those caller ID little trinkets if you will um existed i wonder how that works if you're like a teenager like calling from your, like your mom's house and it shows it says, up it as... says their name right your mom's name yeah mm, damn you can just mm-hmm. frame the parents every time dang i mean they did try to frame the parent in the first one yeah yeah Maybe so, maureen gillis yeah they um <laughs> yeah sure but <laughs> Um, you also introduce uh, Hallie, the new best friend. Mm-hmm. Also, you see that Freddy Krueger sweater in the uh, closet? You know, when I was watching it this time, it looked red and navy blue, not red and green. Is that just me? I could just be. Well, I don't. I don't know if that's it a type of colorblindness, the blues and greens. But I, um, I just I'm definitely maybe, not colorblind. <laughs> maybe. Oh, I was, I was suggesting I might be, but I think just. Oh, uh, okay. Any red and dark color striped sweater, I'm just Im- immediately thinking Freddy Krueger. So, you know, I'm going to interpret it as a light homage. It, I think it's supposed to be. I've like seen little, you know, like hidden Easter eggs in Scream 2 and they show that sweater and they're like, it's like Freddy's sweater. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I really, I like um, Elise Neal. I think she's great as Hallie. I wish... I mean, she's she feels very like compared to a lot of the other characters in the movie, she doesn't feel as well written because pretty much her only objective is I'm Sydney's supportive friend and I want to be in this sorority. Um yeah. and that's kind of it. Um I kind of like the like sexual tension between her and Mickey. Like I wish they would have played that up a little bit more. Um, but I really I I like her and I think um it's believable that her and Sydney would be roommates and become friends if that makes sense. Yeah, I like her but you're right. I mean, I think the you know, I think the note is just hey, supportive. Um, <laughs> you know, you want to be in this sorority and I don't know, you know, just protect your buddy and just I mm-hmm. Who I don't know. Would you, if you moved in and your college roommate was Sydney Prescott? No, fuck. absolutely not. I would I'm ask like, my, for my room to be switched. One hundred. I'd be like, "Sorry, girl, we're not even going to have time to become friends because I'm moving out. Like, I'll live off campus if I have to. If they have nothing available in the dorm." Yeah, I mean, fuck. As we saw in Urban Legend, it's like the roommate. Honestly, Hallie got off pretty easy mm-hmm. compared to fucking. Um, Danielle Harris and her goth her goth girl in Urban Legend. That was seriously. Up. So yeah, of course you know. Hey, we find out that last night somebody was fucking murdered. Um, mm-hmm. geez, 
here we are. We're in it again. It's happening. I know. You know what I love about this is when they find it out, you go into full movie mode because she says, where's Randy? And Hallie knows exactly where he is, like film class. Like, how does she know his exact schedule? But it's a situation where, like, in real life, I'd be like, hey, Kyle, I'm going to go now and go see Randy. But she just, like, leaves the room and, like, Hallie doesn't even, like, look at her. She's, like, watching the news. It feels very, like, a movie exit. Like, no one would exit a room that way. Oh, yeah. When she's like, where's Randy? And, of course, someone, you know, and then, her, yeah, knows their schedules like that. Yeah, and, it's so good. And you're right. And how she's, like, nods and then leaves. It is very, like, Vin Diesel, you know, Fast yeah. and the like, Yeah. You know. <laughs> so, um. But gosh, boy, boy, are we introduced to Randy again. And this, this film class scene, I just thought that this, like, as a very impressionable, dumb child watching this movie and watching this dumb conversation on You were like, this is college. (laughs) I was like, this is incredible. I want to go to college. This is what I want to do. Um, I mean, me, like a lot of people, I, you know, really, you know, projected themselves onto Randy a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. and for better or worse, you know, we'll get there. But um, it it was just so wonderful to have it finally be realized, Jesus, like 20 years later, when I when I go back to college, and I take a horror movie class that actually exists. And and it's in they exist. it's in a big, you know, hall. And I was like, what the fuck? We're here just talking about Halloween. This is incredible. I love this. And I'm having much smarter conversations than what the fuck was going on in this yeah, they're classroom. Just, they just sound like kids talking about movies. Like they don't sound like they're in class. Like they're just mouthing off about their favorite movies. Yeah. All the, and, and it's not even like, it's so just bare bones, you know, referential where it's like, mm-hmm. ah, Terminator, Sarah Connor, but I'm not even trying my uh, yeah. whatever impression. <laughs> Your Arnold but, voice. Yeah, but and everyone's like, oh, ha, 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 ha. you know, it's <laughs> this conversation you've got between Randy. You also introduce uh, Mickey. Um, yeah. Spoiler uh, alert. Tim- Timothy Oliphant, who not hot in this movie, but grows into a man, y'all. He is aging like fine wine. Sorry, here we go again. Thirsty as hell for Timothy Oliphant. But let's be real. Like, he looks like he's a, a serial killer. Oh, absolutely. That hairline and that, like, unhinged, like, fucking frailed yeah. out hair that he has. He looks absolutely guilty. Yeah, Randy 100%. does call it pretty pretty early when he's mm-hmm. going through his suspects. Um mm-hmm. And you also have our boy, JJ, Joshua Jackson. Because ah, you know him and him and Kevin Williamson were just coming off the set of Dawson's Creek. And he was like, hey, man, you want to sit in on this film class? And he was like, fuck yeah, Kevin, I'm doing my, it. My favorite behind the scenes story wasn't with Joshua Jackson, but it was Kevin Williamson um, just saying like how much fun he had between like takes on the set uh, playing Pac-Man and hanging out with um, Rebecca Gayhart and Sarah Michelle Gellar. And I'm like, what a dream. I want to do all of those. things. He's living our dream. 
he is living <laughs> my fucking dream. Um, and so, but yes, you've got Joshua Jackson and who gets that, um, who gets that aliens quote, right. Randy says, yeah, it, it is right. Absolutely. And you're introduced to Sarah Michelle Geller, who plays CC Cooper, which we later find out is Casey Cooper conveniently, oh, whatever I roll. Um, what do you think about this whole scene? so fun like it's a dumb it's definitely like a dumb conversation that's happening and it really doesn't do much for I mean I'm sure you know you could argue like Mickey's love for sequels and him defending them is definitely tying back to you know full circle at the end him being the killer and all those things and trying to make a better version of what Billy and Stu did last time but um love that I get Sarah Michelle Gellar, Joshua Jackson, like that's super fun. And I like that we're introduced to Randy in a group of people that share his interests, like in the same dorky way that he does. Because last time when they're sitting at the fountain with all the friends, we felt like they didn't quite like fit together. And even still, this group is a little bit questionable um and on the college level but like this class that he's in feels like his tribe so i i like that i feel like he like he fits in better in college because he's like this is my thing like these are my people definitely yeah it definitely helps explain it a little better i felt like in the first movie it was designated that like randy was the film geek and the expert Mm. on this but also everybody kind of was pretty well versed depending on when they needed to even even like tatum making deep cut references you know and so it was it felt very strange whereas like this one yeah definitely it it feels a lot you know more more reinforced there and Mm -hmm. and explains it a little better how everybody at least has this working knowledge um it's just wild to me again that like not only is this this movie right stab based off these murders right um two of the survivors go to this college one is in the class that you're teaching i'm talking about this fucking professor and not only does he like humor this conversation about yeah exactly this, this is there another serial killer trying to make a sequel but like he's like encouraging it and like extending the conversation like i yeah. love how... and smirking at the conversation like he's not even doing it in a profound like you know deep way he's like he's like let's make jokes about sequels because this this is you know life imitating art and people are just getting murdered again like come on bro <laughs> what, I... what are you doing i know this type of fucking professor this dude's <laughs> probably pretty drunk and um <laughs> This, this, that is not a dude who grades his own papers. There's some fucking beleaguered TA. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. And, but I just love that he just like, with no, with no sense of just awareness, no sense of consequence. He's Mm -hmm. just like, he's like, are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real life sequel? And it's like, bro, like, why would you word it that way? Especially when Randy in his own way is being very like uncomfortably like no no that is I lived not what this. is happening yeah I lived this. 
and you know even when he says to sydney afterwards and the weird british voice being like nope nope i am in denial this is mm-hmm. not you know there's trauma blah, blah, blah. i i just love again just the teacher just and then being like all right well you know ah sorry bummer everybody time's up but class dismissed but we're gonna keep talking sequels when we come back you know um yeah yeah also thought great. it was funny how again just this whole conversation of uh you know, Mickey goes, you know, it's just this classic case of life imitating art, imitating life. And I was like, what? First of all. And then second <laughs> of all, I'm like, this isn't fucking, <laughs> you know, life imitating art, imitating life is like, uh, like, uh, you know, you got Pirates of the Caribbean, the ride, right? Oh, God. And then they make a movie based on the ride. And then now the ride incorporates parts from the movie like johnny depp and a bunch of others (laughs) so i'm like i was like where is he going with this but that totally works ah oh my gosh i just love this whole scene i love that i really believed that this is like a fake fucking there's no way this sort of class can exist and turns out it does but maybe it's because people who watch scream 2 then started teaching in college like 25 years absolutely that's absolutely what it is yeah so you've got the conversation between sydney and randy like when she like grabs him out of class and that is all like one take of them leaving that classroom walking down that path randy saying it in the british accent which i guess was jamie kennedy improving after doing that scene so many times then you have Jerry O'Connell or Derek like pop up like on cue, like in the background. It's such a like such a fun way to like have them regroup together and then have your Jerry O'Connell character, the new like hot, total opposite Randy boyfriend and also not like Billy. So he's like this this t- totally different person, but also um, Jerry O'Connell. I think this will be the first time that we've really gotten to talk about him. Love him. Mm-hmm. Love him so much. Industry legend. Now I'm the one giving out the industry legends like willy-nilly. Love it. You should. Hey, <laughs> speaking of uh, willy-nilly, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thinking of fucking Jerry O'Connell's uh, in Piranha. Piranha. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> um, fun story about Jerry O'Connell. Um, this never happens to me because I don't typically work in LA, but I was working in LA for a week and I was staying at a hotel. And oftentimes when I stay at hotels, I like to see if I can find Scream on the television. And I did. I found Scream 2 and I was watching Scream 2 and oh, yeah. I fell asleep to Jerry O'Connell on my screen, like on that, you know, when he's suspended on that like Greek stage prop, whatever it is. And the next day at work, he came into the store I was working in. So I heard his voice and was like, that can't be right. That can't be real. And looked to my left and I was like, motherfucker. I, it took every ounce of like control and just willpower in my body to not be like, Jerry fucking O'Connell. I can't believe you're standing in front of me. Um, I felt like it was like just fate that we were in the same space together. I know we're both married. Um, he's a little older. It's fine. Um, if you're listening, Jerry, 
we can make it work. That's all I got to say about Jerry O'Connell. (laughs) Industry legend. Didn't you also run into like Howie from the Backstreet Boys? AJ. That was like the same. That was the same week. That was the same week. It was wild. Dang, that's fucked up. Two nineties. Losing my shit, guys. Losing my shit. Two nineties legends in the same week. That's pretty. Mm -hmm. That's pretty wild. That's why I could never live in LA because I'm not cool enough to encounter celebrities and not lose. Like I felt like my internal temperature went from like normal to like I was like sweating, like sweating just instantly. Like I had gone for a fucking jog. I feel like the only celebrity sighting I like might have had in LA was I was at like a stoplight next to the dude who I think is the voice of Squidward on SpongeBob SquarePants. That you think? And the only reason I can assume so is who else would have a vanity play on a convertible that says Squidward? (laughs) Right? No, I I would bet there's fans out there. So that's, yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, is someone, someone rolling out? We were, we were close to the, the Warner, Warner lot. So you never know. Uh, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you introduce um, Derek here. Did you ever mm-hmm. think for a minute Derek was the killer? Absolutely not. They couldn't Man. do the boyfriend twice. Um, and he, they give him a couple lines that, you know, make him seem suspicious, but like, Honestly, I never thought Derek was the killer the first time I watched this, even for a minute. In the first act, it really, really lean into Randy. Yes. As, as, as a wink, wink, red herring. Because uh-huh. I mean, even, even how that scene ends, right? Is him being like, get a room, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he's like, like bitter. Know, I'd let the geek get the girl. You yeah. Know, blah, blah, blah. And then also, who uses like, mouth spray like that anymore people it's, used to remember people, it like used to be a fucking thing. mouth spray no one uses that anymore does that mean everybody was just putting poison in their mouths they were like oh no we discovered this is really bad <laughs> don't use it at the movie theater i worked at i remember in the restrooms they had uh dispensers that would those mouth sprays to which i'm like i am Ew. not i am not Ew. getting something i spray from my mouth or spray into my mouth out of a public restroom no thank you isn't that what dentine ice started as mouth spray and not gum? I think so. I feel like I remember the cinnamon version of it and being like, why would you spray cinnamon into your mouth to try to make it smell better? I'm always like, I, I, you know, I'm looking for a place to put my gum right after I've chewed it. I live in Seattle. I know there's a giant wall. I could just go stick it, but I don't, I don't yeah, want to go down there each time. There. It's gross. But, um, or do you remember there was the little, uh, they're like little like wafers that you just like. Mm-hmm. Listerine you know? strips. Yeah. Right. Those were Actually, fucking gross. Those are the very, taste they, on your tongue afterwards. Ugh, gross. Irony, right? Because it would just bleed this awful yeah, taste in your mouth. Ugh. So, but, <laughs> but yeah, I felt like they leaned really hard into Randy for the first part. And then they lean really hard into Derek in like the second mm-hmm. act and then of course you know free fall free fall at the end but um free fall. i think they also the kind of lean into hallie as well because she like her like going with sydney to like the safe spot and things like that like i i don't feel like in that situation i'd be like oh yeah my new bestie that i've known since after the first time a bunch of people started murdering me like that's not who i would want to be with me 
Honestly, I'd want my fucking dad. Where are you, Neil? Can't remember off the top of my head, but we'll 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 find out if Neil ever shows up again. Um, you also introduce Gail, who's back. Now Gail's mm-hmm. in a weird position because now she is kind of this back and forth between like I'm the reporter, I'm the investigative journalist, but now I've got people following me wanting she to She handles it so well. I mean in the way that she just like completely just like is like fuck you know you undresses all. fucking uh Debbie Salt. And Love just, it. I don't know how you maintain that fake identity like that, but I do think <laughs> it's hilarious how Absolutely, she could totally sit front row and be Billy Loomis's mother. And Gail Weathers, even though she wrote a whole fucking book, a whole on book. and would still maybe is just at this point in her life, she's just so full of herself that she just probably didn't even recognize her. It was like, oh, whatever. Oh, yeah. I don't care. I think that's actually kind of fun because I feel like because, you know, they say 60 pounds lighter and, and a lot of work. And I think to myself, I'm like, okay, you could make yourself look really different, like haircut, clothes, plastic surgery, weight loss. But I do love the idea that you just brought up of Gail just being so fucking full of herself and her own shit that she's just like, okay, Debbie Salt, whatever, like doesn't even realize that that's Mrs. Loomis. I think it's super fun. And I also like that they found a way to have Debbie Salt at every kill scene and it makes sense that she would be there because she's a reporter that's really fun too and I also like her shade like towards Gail after Cece dies and she goes oh Gail you're just getting here like Mm -hmm. like you're fucking late girl um I I just I love it so much I love every interaction between Gail and Debbie Salt is so good well, especially you know when you know that she's the killer, and it's like yes. so she's not like just like taunting her professionally, right? Yeah, she's, she's fucking with her, right? You've got Dewey circling that tree. Um, <laughs> you've got the group. Maybe the only time you see that friend group all completely together. together. I guess mm-hmm. kind of the same thing with the first one, huh? Is like yeah, by the fountain. That true. was probably the only time you saw all five of them in one space like that yeah especially you know when you learn one or multiple of them are the killer within this group so that Mm -hmm. makes sense but you know i guess it's nice to have that that one shot or that one scene just to establish like they are friends even though kind of like the first movie it doesn't really make sense why they would all be friends but but they're such good friends that they know each other's class schedules so they're they're fucking tight they are a tight yeah. group of friends. They're not just like casual friends. I was going to say, I see, I would understand if Sydney and Randy knew each other's schedules mm-hmm. that Sydney would know because like say like, hey, we, yeah. we're we we're survivors now. We got to mm-hmm. stick together on this. Of course, Randy misinterpreting that is, you know, being madly in love with her. But at least he, at least he's, they, they do, he does plant that seed in the first one. You know, like when he says, yeah. like, do you think I got a shot at her? You know, blah, 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 yeah. blah. So, you he know. refers to himself as the unrequited love slave of Sydney, which I think is kind of cute. In the, sec- in the second one, not in the, in the second first one. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what were you saying? Um, I like the interaction between Dewey and Sydney because Dewey actually pegs the killers, at least he says, he says that the killer's probably someone you already know. And he says him or her or them. 
And he pretty much is like, there's a guy, there's a woman, there's two of them. Like, I like that he says it out loud, like right off the bat, which is here. Fun. I thought he was just being progressive and just, you know, just including everyone, some, some gender neutrality <laughs> there. No, um, he was definitely like, there, there's there's there could be two people that are that are doing this i don't think we weren't there yet um i love but yeah um, i like that conversation ah it just really reinforces like ah, it was a good idea to let him live in that last one oh is, absolutely because one even though i never bought for us a fucking second he was the killer but no. um just i don't know because again like any of these movies you wouldn't expect that character to live um mm-hmm. but i do yeah. love um how gail is introduced to each of them um mm-hmm. of course you've got kind of a uh, a repeat of you know the first uh punch that they had in the in the first one um when she backhands her and oh i love that she she says i'll share with you <laughs> I love it. So and again, good. just how fucking cold she is, where she's like, even with everything they've gone through together, she's like, mm-hmm. Sandy, hey, how are you? Let me get a couple questions with you. Oh, yeah, here, by the way, here's Cotton Weary hiding behind some other tree. The guy you uh, falsely accused and put into prison. No, I think that's such a good way to show that Gail has grown as a character in the wrong direction. Like, she moved she like progressed as a character but in an even more awful way so how i interpret that because i'm always team gail and i love that she's a horrible horrible woman um but also with a heart of gold is that she went through a traumatic experience and her way of dealing with that is just leaning into her work and not caring who she fucking steamrolls in the process so I'm I'm always going to defend Gail. I thought that was a bitch move. I loved it. Even Cotton was like, what the fuck, Gail? I thought she knew this was going to happen. Like, um, but Cotton's character. So he goes from being like sweet here to being a weird creep because we have to make him a red herring as well. And then he goes back to being all sweet and dumb again. So like a lot of inconsistencies with Cotton. I, outside of just being another red herring, I don't know if you needed to bring Cotton back at all. Um, but, you know, again, just still just to keep another. as many red herrings as you can. Yeah. And I love Lee Schreiber. I think he does such a great job in this movie. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, he is. He is really creepy, real touchy, real weird. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, with Gail, I'm like you know kind of like what i said with the first one i think there's two ways you know there's multiple ways to be a survivor right you know there's mm-hmm. the way sydney does it i get it and then also gail just hey you know being cold and fucking unrelenting hey that's how she survived the first one so why wouldn't yeah. she double down this time double down and i don't know fuck i get it and then also like the shit she says about dewey in that book like she isn't wrong she absolutely is not wrong like she right? took it she took the information and what she saw and she wrote it in a way that people would want to read about it he did have a barney fifish presence yeah he absolutely. doesn't even deny it he's like well maybe i just use it to do this and this which he yeah doesn't. i love i love when he that like, run-on really, sentence oh yeah when he just when he really tries to stand up for himself and when yeah. he tries to um come up with some like I'm back, you know, like it's always so bad, but he's so good. Um, but again, he sells it really well. Yeah. I, I love it. 
I really enjoy seeing Sydney be this, just this like outsider almost in her own environment because, you know, you've got like her roommate who wants to be in the sorority, her boyfriend who's a frat boy and neither, like that's not like the type of world she wants to live in. And then you have fucking the best, world's best sorority girls in the entire world with Rebecca Gayhart and Portia de Rossi. Whoever casted them deserves some sort of like Nobel Peace Prize. I don't know if they give those out for this, but they should. Did we give Rebecca Gayhart an industry legend award yet for Urban Legend? Oh my gosh, we did. We maybe didn't. All right, well, she gets one sure. now. She yeah. gets one yeah. now. Yeah, Rebecca Gayhart, industry legend, gorgeous, amazing actress in so many fun movies. Um, yeah, she's she's fantastic. So she had in, not interviewed. Sorry, she had auditioned for at least a part or two in the first one and then auditioned mm-hmm. for a couple parts in the second one. Um, she auditioned for CeCe's character, mm. um, obviously going to SMG, you know. Um, I'm just glad that they recognize like, okay, maybe these aren't good fits, but let's make sure you got a role in here somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. let's, 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 let's figure out a way to get you in here. And then hopefully, hey, that was a springboard into Urban Legend, which I think is a very fun movie and she mm-hmm. is the scene the stealer part in of that, that. the best part yeah. of that movie for sure yeah yeah i i wouldn't have minded seeing rebecca gayhart as cc and seeing sarah michelle geller as the sorority sister i think she actually can play that like dumb bitchy shallow character really well too and she doesn't always get like the chance to do that so outside of the first episode of Buffy exactly so I I would have liked to see her in that character too but Portia de Rossi is like at a 12 out of 10 like the way that she delivers her lines is so so good and like the way that she says Sydney like (laughs) It's so fucking good. <laughs> no, I mean that. Hi. Hi. <laughs> that's Hi. such a good line. Oh god, that's so good. I love it. Yeah. So they um you know, there what's it's a Delta Delta Lamba Zeta, Delta Lama Zeta, Delta Never will I remember the the any of those names. I I refuse. So we're in the, you know, tis the season for some onboarding, what do you call it, mm-hmm. rush season, maybe mm-hmm. I forget. Um, and they're having that that cocktail soiree that night, mm-hmm. which we learn that um, Cece is already a part of that um, and is the sober sister for the night. Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty good, sure. Responsible drinking. We love that. Yeah. I Because um, I think that's what we got into, right? Is Because I think it's like the. Uh, yeah that scene and then every yeah back into the cc so Mm -hmm. um man so this movie and i know what you did last summer came out actually i think like a month or two from each other um Mm -hmm. i know what you did last summer came out maybe like november that year and then december Mm -hmm. for scream um sarah michelle geller was getting that work because she was fully filming buffy at this time too so like good for her season two at that point probably season she three was maybe? everything in the late 90s like so let uh, me ask 
someone who is just so synonymous with this character, Buffy. Buffy Summers. And they dressed right? her just like Buffy Summers. She could have come right off the set from Buffy and walked into the sorority house and it would have been fine. That's why I'm like, does it bum you out to watch her die so much? No. I think it's actually the opposite because Buffy always kicks so much ass that seeing her just be a normal girl like is a du- it's a double win because one you're like I get to see Sarah Michelle Gellar be scared like that's different because Buffy very rarely gets scared but also yeah. two you kind of get to see how good Buffy has it. Like, even though she's like burdened by being the slayer, you're like, at least you're not fucking getting murdered in college. Like I, I, I like both sides of that, but I do think they could have done a better job of maybe her having her just dress differently. Like maybe she could have been like, you know, the unattractive one with the ponytail and glasses and overalls, like that sort of thing where they like make her, the, that was a joke about she's all that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought you were like making they... a joke about um well, I guess it is she's all that. I thought you're making a joke about uh not another teen movie, but yeah, Both. that is based off she's Both. all that. Um, she's got yeah, pain like, on her overalls. Yeah, like they could have like dressed her a completely different way or something to make her different from Buffy, but honestly, I don't fucking care. I will watch Sarah Michelle Geller do anything. Literally, I I watched a video of her baking cookies with someone one time and I was like, oh, Sarah. (laughs) Hell yeah. I think she dies in the beginning of Grudge 2. No. She survives Grudge. Oh, Grudge 2. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, and again, like I was saying with a lot of these deaths, like, you know, not necessarily like public, you know, as, Mm -hmm. as compared to the deaths before and the one that's coming after this one. But you do have people coming in and out of the scene, mm-hmm. like in between phone calls with Ted or, you know, this, this yeah. killer. Um, fucking Ted, comfortable. get your shit together, Ted. Don't treat CC however you've been te- treating her. Yeah, Ted sounds like a real piece of shit. Yeah, um, fuck Ted. The house obviously is close, comfortable walking distance from where the party is, too. So even more so, you would ha- might have elevated foot traffic. Um, I just find it hard to believe that every single one of them are at that party except for her. Like, nobody has an exam coming up. They don't give a shit. Well, I mean, if it's supposed to be like, uh, you know, I mean, my limited knowledge of sororities is that it's like, you know, you you don't really get a choice. If it's like a sorority event, you gotta go. You gotta go. Like, Ugh, it, I could never. I could never. You cannot force me to socialize. No. Yeah. So she's her sober sister. How do you feel about this whole, this whole chase slash kill scene? Like where, where would you rank this? Like in this movie, I'd say it's probably my least favorite of all of the kills, which is a hard thing to say because I love no. Okay. Hallie would be my least favorite, but like, yeah. Hallie and Derek are probably my least favorite. Well, no. Yeah. Hallie's my least favorite. There's a lot of competition for like big set pieces. This is uh, the second of like some one of the bigger set pieces of this movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's because once Ghostface like reveals himself, she runs upstairs, mm-hmm. follows her, throws her out the window and then throws her over the stabs her twice and then throws her yeah. off the balcony ever clear, yeah. you know. And so so I felt like 
I would have liked to see, actually, I probably would have liked to see a little bit more, but, eh, you know. The phone play is fun. Like the Ted thing and the girl like walking in and the don't forget to set the alarm, like her trying to call campus security. And then you had like, um, again, technology of the past. If you went too far away from your like household like line so that your front door would be the line that you can't cross. Otherwise, your cordless telephone would start to be like, (laughs) and you hear that sound. That's very real. Gen Z, um, think of it this way. Um, if you are connected to your parents' Wi-Fi in their house <laughs> and the farther you walk outside, yeah. I, know, I know it'll switch to data. Yeah. But if you still <laughs> but there's you that in between weaker, weaker. Yeah. And it gets a little slower mm-hmm. to load whatever mm-hmm. goofy pages you kids are looking at these days. So um yeah, I thought that was a great way to get her back inside the house. Because I mean, even guarantee, even just just running doesn't wouldn't guarantee her much. You I know? mean, she just... could have just ran to the party because it only took them fucking two minutes to get to her. So that's what yeah. I would have done. I would have been like, I'm going to the party. Like, I'm still sober. Yeah. Like, I mean, she can still give people rides. So yeah. So fuck this house. You know, whatever. Yeah, fuck fuck that house. Yeah, and 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 even then, I think this death is the first to like. I don't know. Like, I mean, of course, you know, it's the 90s, right? This movie is very bright and very, very well mm-hmm. lit, you know? So, like, I think that takes away a lot of the suspense. And then again, you know, just these, you know, these 90s soundtracks, like, don't get me wrong, awesome. But I'm like, I just feel it's so undercut by... By that music cutting in. You said it's ever clear. Never said I was innocent. Yeah. Know? And then um, you're just like, and, and as one it undercuts it and then like two or maybe it's intentional to kind of show the further kind of disassociation of like you murder st- murdered and terrified this this young girl and yeah and she's dead right and, i do like that she gets thrown off the balcony too that's a fun yeah. fun little change yeah right it wasn't just purely say so. he only did the two stabs and he's like "Ooh, actually what am i doing yeah like, just... what why am i why am i why am i stressing myself out more i just throw over the fucking thing we're yeah. good yeah so um <laughs> two weighs under 100 pounds that was an easy <laughs> right over the side <laughs> it gets a little confusing now because when in the first movie whenever whoever's wearing the ghost face costume mm-hmm. it's generally not the person who's on the phone yeah i think that that was mrs loomis on the phone and mickey in the house or like sneaking into the house Okay. Okay. That's what I thought too. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I didn't. And I, I don't know what, what does Zach Cherry say? Do you know? Um, I, okay. So I have, I have watched his Hill who killed who video for scream two and Zach Cherry's theory is that I can't believe I remember this, but I love those videos. Um, is that Mrs. Loomis made the call and Mickey is the one in the house because he's, there are times where he's sneaking around and still talking on the, and they're still talking on the phone. That's so what I thought, yeah. you wouldn't be able to speak full volume into the phone and be running around the house, which you don't think about like the first time you're watching it. Like you're just kind of absorbing so much fresh new information. But when you've seen this movie as many times as we have, you do start thinking about little technicalities like that. Um, the other thing that I think is really funny about this 
is that part where she says, don't forget to set the alarm. And then Ghostface says, don't forget to set the alarm. And she's like so scared that they heard that. And I'm like, girl, you were holding the phone just like with the receiver, like in the room. Anyone on the phone would have heard that. Like she said it at full volume. So I always thought that was kind of funny because that wouldn't like, I'd be like, okay, so you can hear the other side of this line. Big fucking deal. Sarah Michelle Gellar does set the alarm though, right? Yeah, after he's already in there. Oh, that's how I remember. Okay, because I remember the alarm's going off when she gets thrown out the window. Which, if you're that scared, again, that girl just left, run after her. So, with Cece dying, and we later learned their name is Casey. Mm -hmm. So, this is, and effectively the end of this trail of, you know, killing people, like doing this purely copycat Mm -hmm. murder, you know, situation. And... I guess, yeah, it's because I'm thinking like, why the fuck does Debbie want to, you know, want to kill Cece? I don't know why she'd want to kill, you know, uh, Phil and Maureen either Mm -hmm. outside of unless this is like Mickey, like. I think that's like Mickey's part of the thing. I'll do the kills for you or we'll get to Sydney, but let me do my thing. Let me up fuck to this with point. her. Let me like be an official serial killer. Like, I think he wanted that title. He wanted to beat mm-hmm. Billy and Stu's body count because the sequel has to be bigger and better. So I think that was the whole plan for that. But also with that name situation, like just to go back to that real quick, If that ended up going nowhere, as a filmmaker, like, why did you need that scene then? Why didn't we just remove it from the movie? Honestly, you could have removed the scene entirely where they're talking about it. Yeah. Because, and you could have just kept the movie intact. And honestly, I wouldn't have thought, oh, that's Maureen. Oh, Phil Stevens. Steve oh because you're also separating out you're you're including Steve with Maureen and And nicknames and nicknames right so you're like why are we even doing this I mean you could just have those be their names not have the scene and it would just be some throwaway IMDB trivia is like oh you know tee hee hee you know nudge yeah like it's like a like a fun thing that like Wes Craven was like I wonder if anyone would notice you know yeah so like them being credited as those full names right that would have been more fun yeah just to find out like in the credits after the fact or something i'd be yeah yeah that'd be fine but so otherwise if it has nothing to do with that and i don't know i think especially coming uh, it just again feels very like uh you know both with mickey and randy you know just these you know, incel vibes from both of them oh, yeah. and a very misogynist, very like, I, you know, I, I, I guess we're watching it now, especially in the context of that classroom scene, I'm like, did he just kill her just because he, she fucking embarrassed him in film class, mm. you know, by fucking talking him down and saying that he had she a hard on, you got a Cameron, hard on for Cameron, yeah. you know, and like, Probably. and so then I'm just like, is this just some sniveling little fuck who didn't yes. like how a girl made fun of him and, and barely I think and then yeah Mickey is totally just I mean obviously he's a killer like he's a total piece of shit but he he just fits a profile of 
And even like Mrs. Loomis, like makes the, you know, he just needed a little nurturing that like only a mother could give. Like he probably has a terrible relationship with his mother, like, which is a very common thread amongst white male serial killers. Like he, he feels like the type to have some animosity towards women. Um, I mean, and obviously, you know, just wants to murder people in general too. But um, yeah, like Mickey's the worst. He's the fucking worst. And, you know, and I like how you mentioned, like, maybe, yeah, like, he, he, you know, didn't have a, maybe a maternal figure in his life. So when he's going to see Stab, and he's just having a bit of an episode, he just needs somewhere private to be. He goes into a bathroom stall and yeah. just starts reliving his trauma. Mommy, mommy, oh don't, gosh, mommy, yes. mommy. Right? And then, so maybe he wasn't even intending on killing anybody that night. Look at us creating a whole <laughs> new theory right? on Mickey and his history. I think we're doing great things here. So... But yeah, just, you know, watching, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar's death again in this context, you're just kind of like, you're, it just makes that extra level of ickiness. I with, didn't even think about that. That's, that's a fun connection. I like that, Kyle. Then it, it moves into the attack at the other house because now everyone has moved to the crime scene. You get, oh, you get Gail's amazing moment where Joel, her cameraman, who we haven't even haven't even touched on yet he's he might be one of the best characters because he's like he leaves he leaves the situation he's like fuck this um smart move you'd have a little bit at the party where i mean timmy oliphant's back because then they're talking Mm -hmm. about like well what about empire strikes back and you know randy's like oh well that's part of a plan trilogy trilogy. Mm -hmm. and i'm like bullshit dude i I agree with him on that i actually agree with him on that because those i were those not like written all together as a trilogy am i wrong i don't know a lot about star wars so really am i wrong if anything the outline of it is so are we saying then then by his own rules is scream 2 not a sequel and part of a planned trilogy because it was Mm. interesting interesting another pirates of the caribbean situation yes this movie breaks its own logic quite a oh, bit. oh yeah but, for sure um but i'm like thinking like hey if you're gonna let the godfather part two count as a sequel but empire strikes back and not get the fuck out of here whatever so um mm. and then also and then just i don't know how i missed this joke uh, it's this throwaway one from Rebecca Gayhart, but like when they're, you know, trying to sell the sorority, you know, saying like, mm-hmm. you know, like we're, we're sex positive. It's about being responsible and this and this and this. Yeah, and yeah. then Rebecca Gayhart just with just the most authentic concern in her eyes says harmonica style. Okay. Though. Yeah. And she's like, Oh, she's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And then of I had course. to put two and two yeah. together and see how a harmonica's played. <laughs> and you I didn't was like, know what that was? That's so no, funny. I'm so dumb. But I, I that love was, that. It's a, that's, that's a really good joke. Yeah. And also another fun thing about this party scene is that Matthew Lillard has a little cameo. He's one of the party goers in the background. I always forget to look, but isn't he like three feet taller than anyone else too? Yeah, like, he totally stands out. And a lot of people think that's why like Stu survived because Matthew Lillard is just there. And I'm like, no, he was just nearby probably doing Scooby-Doo or some shit. And, uh, you know, I don't think that lines up that timeline, but whatever. 
um the part he the the yeah. role he was born to play um <laughs> but yeah he uh he pops up in the background which i think is really fun kind of a little bit kind of echoing of like you know like you're at a party you find out someone's dead everyone runs to the new spot and then leaves the house empty kind of like mm -hmm. hey you know when they found this uh, principal Hembry dead um that was the other thing too with this whole idea of or the, this pattern of you know killing your victims based on mm -hmm. Woodsboro. First of all, did you even know Principal Hembry had a first name? No. Yeah, I, because that was that was going to be like, how do you make it past Casey? I'm like, Hembry's next. I'm like, does anyone even know who the fuck that dude's first? So Does he have a first name? It's Arthur. Turns out, I don't think it's ever said like Arthur Franzarelli. Oh, huh. I wonder if. Oh, yeah, that's silly. I like that, but uh -huh. but but I don't know if that's, that's official or canon or not. I remember I had to look at some screen wiki to find out because I was like, oh, that makes sense. They killed uh, CC, and then they're like, okay, who's next? And they're like, yeah, it's Principal Hembry. And they're like, well, okay, Hembry, that's like <laughs> the most common surname. What's his first name? And we're like, uh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> And then maybe that's why they had to give up. On Dang, we can't plan. we can't keep up this. We can't keep up this name theme. And then even then, it's like, how are you going to find a fucking Tatum? And Tatum is not even one where it's like, oh, it's not Steve. It's Steve Inns. Like Tatum. That's <laughs> how does that? That's not even like a part of another name. <laughs> so, no, no. I don't know. But um, um, I like that once the house clears out and you get that phone call, like Sydney knows it's for her. Like she can't, she can't not answer the phone. I wish that, and like at there for a long time, I was like, I wish that she didn't answer the phone because it's like her, like kind of just like putting herself into that trap. But I think it's her just accepting like, okay, this is about me. Like this is happening again. I'm just going to address this asshole on the phone right now and just get this call over with. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that. And because I'm assuming Mickey is with the other, like part of the friend group when Sydney gets attacked. So I think that this is Mrs. Loomis. Yeah. Because he probably left with Randy and all them to go. Yeah. Nice alibi so that she's, she's attacked, you know, while he's not around. So like there's, you know, a witness there and then they try to throw Attracts. you off with Derek you know, having the slice on his arm and he's a medical student and all his major arteries are missed. And I was like, all right, fine. But no, no one was falling for that. Jerry O'Connell, he wouldn't hurt a fly. I love the back and forth between him and Dewey um, after the fact when, you know, first of all, like this is like a young college student who's like allegedly been attacked and was. Yes, yes. And like, and Dewey's just standing there like while he's getting his wounds cleaned, you know, in the, in the, a sheriff station i don't know where they ended up the hospital where he's yeah. like pretty convenient how uh no one saw you get attacked and uh he left uh right before i got there and then you know derek's just like pretty fucking convenient you showed up right after the killer fucking left huh yeah and then, and then dewey's just again like can't come up with a good comeback and he goes it is <laughs> it is it is i love that dewey can't come up with the with the comeback ever <laughs> so he um, just like ultimately just like agrees with somebody if he can't come up with a, yeah. a comeback it's it's really good it's also fun because the sheriff is david arquette's dad yeah which 
I, I like too, because, you know, they, they have their little exchange at one point on the stairs where it's like Sheriff and he's like Dewey. And I'm like, oh, that's so cute. Um, how are they letting Dewey and more so, how are they letting Gail like. Yeah, why are you a part of this investigation? Yeah, especially <laughs> when you two are not only targets, but honestly suspects. Persons of interest for sure. Yeah, like, why would we be showing you our our whiteboard with yeah. our little yarn yeah. in our pictures, you know, blah, blah, blah. But... <laughs> Not so. the yarn wall. This then moves us into the cafeteria. Is that what? Pretty much we'll get there. We do have a couple, um, you know, Derek meeting, you know, talking with Sydney and talking shit on the Delta Lamazetas or whatever. And I'm like, bro, get the fuck out of here dude you're in you're in a fraternity dude you have no right to talk shit yeah. on them get the fuck out of here i mean maybe um, it's because they're so like over the top like i'm surprised these girls got into college like party hard that like he's like making fun of them even more because it's clear that they're just they're there for a good time hey you know they're you know they're getting their curriculars they're also in that play which is weird um everyone's in that play everyone's in that play but i'm assuming this is like a fine arts college institution from how much everyone is involved in film and theater and also a medical school (laughs) (laughs) so it's got to be those two usually go together just those two (laughs) um (laughs) you have a couple you know like i think honestly the the only time you have like die well i mean until the very end a dialogue between mickey and sydney you know when they're both sitting there mm. um after you know a lot of the uh the kids are being interrogated after the attack um in the hospital you know, mickey you know we're just not believing for a fucking second he's like oh yeah we're we're here for you sid and you know mm-hmm. blah 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 and, <laughs> this is all gonna work out when i'm like dude you he, look evil as shit i know you're the killer Get the he totally does and when hallie asks him if he wants coffee like his exaggerated like head shake like no coffee would be disgusting at a time like this like it looks very like over the top like the way yeah. that he like he shakes his head no but what i do like about like this is honestly my only thing that i like about mickey being the killer is um I like that he's trying to fuck with her head and plant ideas of not trusting Derek like early on. Like I appreciate that about Mickey because I think that's a very fun and unique way to fuck with her. Like, I mean, Billy obviously fucked with her in a much deeper and darker way, but um, I like that he's like putting ideas in her head of who she can trust. I'd say this is when it shifts from Randy being the main red herring to Derek. And then mm-hmm. probably, and then Totten in the la- in the last act, I think, kind of yeah. switching from that that person to that person to that person, because you have, you know, again that exchange with Dewey where he's the first one being like pretty convenient, this and this and this and this, mm-hmm. and then, um, gosh, I mean, you even have the, you know, exchanges between you know Sydney and Derek after this where. You know, she's like saying, for your safety, dude, get the fuck out of here. But then mm-hmm. he, like a fucking dumbass dude, makes it about himself. And it's <laughs> like, oh, do you really want to protect me? Or are you saying you can't trust me? Mm-hmm. You like, know? can it be both? Yeah, right. So, yeah. of course, like a dumbass dude, he's like, well, 
then <laughs> I'm going to make you committed to me in a public forum where everyone can watch. And how can I do that? I am going to sing a fucking song in front of everybody and give you my Greek letters because we pop over to this uh this scene in the cafeteria now where it's very clear everyone's drinking pepsi products but yeah what can you do but you know a lot of people had to audition for the movie with this scene singing yeah jerry o'connell auditioned singing this song yeah and and clearly you do not have to be a good singer I mean, maybe that was the point. Wow, Jerry, if you're listening again, fuck Kyle. He's absolutely wrong. You have the voice of an angel. Continue. Okay, maybe not in that scene. In that, I I bet he probably can sing a little bit. But and I think it was probably intentional. That yeah, I mean, it's an art school. Maybe he is, you know, like a great singer. You know, but he's a medical student. He's part of the STEM division of the school, not the theater. right everyone needs curriculars you know extracurriculars um what do you think of this whole thing i think it's really dumb it most people i think think it's pretty dumb yeah i i don't know why it's in this movie like i think they did the best they could with it but like even like the music that plays at the end when they kiss and like the only thing we needed from this scene one you get to see the friend group together again without i think randy's not there because um, what what would he have been doing during this whole song and dance number? And you get the letters given to Sydney, which ends up getting Derek in some pretty hot water later. But um, yeah, it doesn't move the plot. It's just kind of silly, but it shows Derek's dedication and love for Sydney. So, and it's also nice to see her laughing. Like, that's fun, too, because you get to see Sydney be, like, happy with him. Mm-hmm. So did you know that it is called, uh, sorry for my mispronunciation, but unless I get it right, uh, lavalering. Are you familiar with that practice? I've heard the word before, but is that what singing to someone, like, serenading them in that context is? Or giving the letters? Giving the letters, Mm. yeah so now i was wondering i was like is that really like a big like faux pas is as they say and then oh did the research team look into it in advance uh yeah 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 they they sent me all the hard data um perfect right yeah right to my phone and (laughs) so (laughs) so i don't know about all sororities and frats right but Uh lavalering lavalering is you have your letters often Mm -hmm. on a necklace right Mm -hmm. and it's like you know it's like a promise ring you know so it's like it's it's like an intermediary step between dating and engagement like for marriage is like before you give someone the wedding engagement ring that's what i thought like it's almost like a promise ring Yeah. yeah so it's it's pretty fucked up now it the whole i mean idea is that now just by giving Sydney his letters, that was not the issue. Or at least okay. in real life, that is not the issue. But the issue is that you have to like almost like submit like like an application to the frat and say, Oh my gosh, hey, here's this girl I'm dating. I plan on, you know, going steady as you do. And then they're like, okay. 
we accept, you know, we'll, we, we honor we'll review this, your this application. <laughs> yeah. We'll review your application. And a part of it is like, now then the, all the brothers in this fraternity then have this time to spend with this. It, I'm sorry, everything I'm reading, it's about like sorority fraternity, man, woman, very gender binary. So mm-hmm. my apologies. Um, but just for the sake of getting through this, but <laughs> so then this whole thing where like they review and then if they have concerns, they need to like have a forum where they bring to you their concerns with your partnership with this part, you know? Well, I mean, the only nice thing about that is that nobody likes going through an application process. So you know that they're serious about this person if they want to hand over their letters, like that they're like willing to go through this whole process and be like, we'll get back to you in five to seven business days. So I guess my, the first thing I wonder is like, first of all, that's very fuck. I don't know. Very weird. I don't need to bring other fucking people into that decision. Um, but one thing is that you can only, you can only give those letters away once. Oh, first of all, how committal are they to that? Because are you going to tell me there has never been in the history of mankind where you're like, Oh fuck, bro. I made a mistake. She sucks. <laughs> They're like, like Nope. I need no take backsies. That's going to be your fucking wife. (laughs) And then I just wondered, like, you know, I don't know. Are there any sororities or fraternities at like Brigham Young University? You know, I don't know how that works if you're only supposed to be committed to one person, but I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah. This whole scene, it's, it also just feels weird where like of all the songs, especially in 1997 like is she gonna know this partridge family song from like everyone knows that song not i don't think or at least in the 90s like maybe not now but like then like i knew that song as a kid i don't know but you have like uh i'll always love you by whitney houston at this point in the 90s i'm like there's there are better love songs to sing how fucking dare you say that jerry o'connell can't sing and then say that he should have sang a whitney houston song are you kidding me right now oh so are so are you saying that jerry o'connell is not okay there's He's a talented. difference between being able to sing and like <laughs> choosing a song that Whitney Houston is famous for performing. That's fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, oh I was thinking goodness. I was the first love song of the nineties that came to my head. What can you say? I mean, good choice, but I, I can't even imagine him belting that out in the cafeteria. That actually would have been really funny. I think it's more likely that the rights to I Think I Love You were probably pretty cheap to acquire. Mm-hmm. And he's going to sing that song. Especially so like, if he's singing it instead of them playing it. But they play yeah. a cover at the end. It's an unnecessary scene, but we get to see Sydney happy. Yes. Um, so we go from there to uh Dewey and Randy um uh, clearly uh, having Baskin Robbins. My Robins. favorite, one of my favorite scenes. Love them at the Baskin Robbins. Love that. Um one because it gives you an extra scene from Stab, which is really fun. Uh, the Tory spelling and uh Luke Wilson bit, which mm-hmm. of course, you know, very obvious that they chose that scene to show because it brings up Billy's mother multiple times in that Mm -hmm. conversation. So Mm -hmm. to just kind of like 
put that seed and remind you Smart. Like, hey hey there's there's some things right in front of you that if you're paying attention you know some threads you can follow um, and you get nancy odell not to spoil anything of the future but she's a survivor too she's coming back y'all we love nancy odell i love that you brought that up it will not be the last time i'll bring up or we'll bring up nancy odell and she says "Ooh, <laughs> i love scary movies <laughs> i love it um so you know i talked about it a little bit um you know they're going randy and dewey are kind of going through their suspects um love again it. i love when dewey like when you just find dewey very flustered and confused <laughs> uh, when when they're going back and forth where it's just like well of course you know um randy pretty quickly identify like naughty they're not going to do boyfriend again that's tired we're not mm-hmm. doing that mickey the freaky tarantino film student you know just mm-hmm. nails it very quickly and but then i just love that you know but if he's a suspect i'm a suspect and then dewey's like well what if you are a suspect and then randy's like well if i'm a suspect, a suspect. <laughs> and, and he says and then, let's move on <laughs> yeah dewey's like let's move on and then when he starts saying let's move on two and then you can tell he's like just the look in his eyes you can tell like just the the uh the the wheels that are spinning in his head because then it also like his eyes where he's like he's really struggling to come up with somebody else he can think yeah you know um but i love this uh you know randy also brings up you know um you don't you never see david schwimmer or at least no. not yet. Uh, you know, to no. see David Schwimmer as Dewey, but he I does. I wish they would have. I wish they would have done that when, like, the age matched, so we could have uh, seen it. Yeah, would have been fun. Yeah. You know what I'd like to see, and I don't want to spoil anything for any movies. I won't. But what I would have liked to see was, like, Tori Spelling, her age now in stab five or stab six. oh my gosh yes that Bring would be her so back good too yeah i think that would be super fun yeah um, i think so too and i like that she was in on the joke too because sydney pretty much insults tori spelling and is like with my luck they'll probably cast someone like tori spelling to play me and then they actually got tori spelling to like do that yeah. like i think that was she was being a good sport about that so that's fun um, so. One thing that I think is really fun about this scene, and admittedly, like, I cannot stress enough how many times I've seen this movie. This is the first time that when Randy was going through his rules that I realized he never ever, or I'm sorry, he never actually finishes rule number three. He doesn't finish the sentence. In the trailers, though, he does. What? And it's you, and it's the third rule is you never assume that the killer is dead. Interesting. Okay. So the first rule is the body count is always bigger. Second rule is death scenes are always more elaborate, more blood and gore, carnage candy, if you will. And then in order for the sequel to become a franchise, never, ever. And then he, like, he gets cut off at that part, um, which I thought was. I was like, oh, I never, never caught on to that. So maybe they thought that revealed too much. And I believe in the cuts for the trailer, um, he does finish it and says, Ooh. you know, you never, you never, ever assume the killer is dead. I think so. Um, but 
Which would have just made me think that it was Stu. You know, the first the first movie in his rules, how I mean, I don't know. Outside of the first rule, does this movie follow? I mean, yes, there's there's more there's more dead people, correct. Yes. For sure the body count is higher. We'll go over that later. Are the deaths really that much more elaborate? I mean, I guess you throw someone off a roof. You do have the one guy that gets a pole through his fucking head. That's pretty rough. <laughs> I like that one. That one's elaborate. Yeah. Um, it's more so that the set pieces are more elaborate than the yeah. actual kills themselves. Like, I wouldn't say that there's more gore necessarily. Yeah. So that, I don't know. That feels, again, I think the whole the whole thing with Randy's rules is that he's he's basing this off of movies and formulas and this is supposed to be real life. So like it's it's not going to fit, but you know, whatever. It's fun. It's fun to listen to him say his, his little rules. Yeah. And really the last uh so in the, our second to last scene with Randy yeah, and actually Randy's Randy's last scene I think is like his where we set them up like by the tree in the park. Joel's there and this is where they kind of give him like a little red herring moment because he you know, just Dewey, happens uh... to leave as soon as the phone call happens. But I really love everything that happens in the park and I love that Gail's just randomly smoking a cigarette. Like, was Courtney Cox on a break? And they were like, hey, we need to shoot this scene now. And she was like, well, I'm finishing this fucking cigarette. <laughs> like, well, she never all, smokes again. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then do, they do attribute it to that whole, like, you know, oh, it's ever since those nudie pics came out. And then yeah, it was like, oh, it was joke about Jennifer body. Aniston. Yeah, that's fun. But uh, <laughs> first thing, I mean, you know, of course, Dewey likes hanging around a good tree. He loves he loves those fucking trees. They were like, where should we sit down to talk? Should we go to the Baskin Robbins? And he's like, no, I know a spot. Do you want to go right into Randy's death and talk about this whole mm -hmm. interaction with her uh, um, like theater director afterwards? Or you want to talk about that first? Because that scene is sandwiched in between the uh, just like an just like a Baskin Robbins ice cream sandwich. Um, that part's right after the Baskin Robbins scene and then before Randy's death. But I do want to let's, talk about that. Let's talk about the theater teacher first, because I, I, it seems like you have a thought, but all I have to say on the matter is it sounded like the understudy wasn't great. And he was like, I can't fill this fucking lead role in such a short amount of time. So he's just giving Sydney the most motivational speech that he can to keep her in that role. That's my theory. That's all I really have on it. I don't know if you're familiar with the actor who mm -hmm. plays this guy, David Warner. Mm -hmm. um, now, I love David Warner. He is in a, well, a few different things, but let's keep it specific maybe to the 90s. Two things that were very formative for me. Um, he was Professor Jordan Perry in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, mm -hmm. which in an allegedly filmed, but at least written alternate ending, you would find out that he was fucking Krang. He was going to open up his suit and you'd, you'd open up his lab coat and you'd find a brain in his stomach. And that would be like a cliffhanger. That's so fun. In the next movie. That would have been so cool. So yeah. then seeing him here as I, you know, in my phase where 
I felt like I aged out of the Ninja Turtles before I returned back to them. Um, before you realize you can't age out of the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> right. I mean, only, only <laughs> literally they're teenage forever. Um, but <laughs> so seeing this dude, I was just like, fuck, I, I don't know. You just get that instant sense of comfort. That's why I felt mm -hmm. comforted by him. But just he is the second of two professors or two faculty that you see in this college and yes. again just like with this film professor like not only are they just encouraging but like they're really like they do not care about the safety of their students or acknowledging no. everything or their trauma or anything no they are so they're in the gail weathers camp where they're just super self-serving and don't give a shit about anyone else's feelings she's like she goes to see him it's like, okay, people are being murdered. I now have security detail um, because the shit's like patterned after. Not only it was, yeah, not only based off these fucking murders that she was a part of a couple years prior, but let's remember she was already fucking traumatized because of what happened to her fucking mother. Yeah, and so this is the third, this is her third rodeo. Yeah, like let's let's come remember. on now yeah or so, fucking sydney so she's just like hey you know maybe it's a good idea to not be in this be play in right play. now M maybe not a good idea also because clearly this about a play, woman with a cursed fate yeah and oh and then being chased by a bunch of people in masks with hoods and knives yeah okay yeah sure but he's I like no love... just lean into it oh no i wrote it down the battle for the soul is fought in the forum of art. That's what he says to her. And she's like, <laughs> and that goes, you're a fighter. You're a fighter, Sydney. That's, that's why it's your major. That's why theater's your major. And I'm like, you are talking to this like 20 year old theater undergrad theater major yeah. undergrad first of all this is like the 90s we're still at a spot where like who gets jobs within their major when they leave college with a bachelor's anyway now maybe <laughs> it's a little closer but gosh it was a free-for-all you just get a college degree you can work fucking anywhere you have a yeah. history yeah you have a history degree work for, for this computer company you have a yeah yeah you know a theater degree hey let's work for this computer company yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever whatever um you know, if you have pain around this material, use it, you know, like you are, you are Cassandra, you are this and this. And I'm just like, bro, you are so desperate because you don't have a good understudy. Yeah. 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 Just like you I'm said. I'm so glad. Same page. We were thinking the same thing. He's like, what can I say to this girl to keep her in this play? Yeah. I'm sure he, who knows, maybe he went to the Dean and He's was like, acting. Hey hey y'all i don't think we should do this you know but maybe he's under a lot of pressure maybe he's had a couple mm -hmm. uh a couple duds maybe the last spring production mm -hmm. just was not good maybe a little bit of uh maybe he did push someone a little too far you know or maybe there was i don't yeah. know so he's like i gotta make this work i have to make this work you know so <laughs> it's just this whole scene Oh my God. And then of course, you know, Hey, don't get me wrong. When she's rehearsing the scene and she's doing the thing as Cassandra, like she's looking real good. Like that yeah. was where I was just like, dang, fucking you, Nef you Campbell. are a fucking, fucking warrior. Nev Campbell, you fucking mm -hmm. great. And 
But again, and then you also find out that Portia de Rossi and Rebecca Gayhart are in that play as well. It, it just doesn't feel yeah. very fitting for their characters to accept yeah, those no. roles. But yeah, sure. like they would want to be like front and center, I feel. Maybe yeah. one of them was the understudy. Right. Do you think that, um, see, I would have loved that. You, when we talk about our wish list for alternate killers, like, maybe we'll like maybe bring Portia that up. Portia de Rossi just like waiting in the wings like, oh, yes, Sydney's like. I'm going to get the main part of this because I've been murdering all of her friends just to get the main part of this play. I love it. Um, and do you think she actually, do you think Ghostface was actually there or was she just, just, uh... you know, I feel like it would be very unlikely. I think that that was her seeing things, but I mean, at this point, Sydney has not seen anything like that. You know, she hasn't had any like hallucinations or anything of that nature. So, I mean, it just feels again, super high risk. Like if I was in that play and all of a sudden I saw that ghost face mask, like it looks so different than those, like whatever those Greek warrior guys are. Like, I'd be like, um, dude, you, you put on the wrong costume. What are you, what are you doing? You're ruining dress rehearsal. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think Ghostface was there. But it so, opens up a whole can of worms if he wasn't. So and then she also, you know, again tries to leave Derek, you know, and yeah. you know, and he's like, Oh, I'm supposed to just understand, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Of course, just being, you know, just a yeah, fucking little are. fucking little little wiener about it, dude. Like, be cool. Um <laughs> that's yeah. So now we bounce back over to um, Randy's death. Um, again, love hanging around a good tree. Who doesn't? Um, now this would have been Gail's first phone call from Ghostface, but mm-hmm. not alas, not uh, not going to happen this round. Um, yeah, Randy answers the phone. Um, but I did like again. Dewey just not knowing how to take an L, you know? <laughs> and when she's just like, you know, let's do this and this, let's check this and this and this. It's like, you know, like, you know, what do you suggest bonehead? <laughs> and then her phone rings and she just, and he goes, I don't know. Phonehead. No, he says bonehead. In the, at least in the, um, in the subtitles, it's phonehead. What? No which, way. Which either what either one would be fine. I'm um, gonna go back and watch it and then revisit it in our Scream Three episode. That's okay, sounds do. good. Um, also, you know, I mean, I spoiled part of this during our uh, Candyman episode, mm. but I'll give you all a sneak peek into the you know behind the scenes of our show. Um, the three, two, one, ghost. That three was taken from Roger uh, Roger Jackson, saying you three looked deep in thought. Mm. Did you know that? Did I tell you that? No, you didn't tell me that one. Or I didn't know this. I knew there was Ghostface. I just didn't know what movie it was from. Yeah. So there you go, Love everybody. That. And so whoever wants to try and guess who says two, you get, I don't know what you get, but you're going to get a friendly shout out. If you, you can guess to, it, you get to choose a movie that we talk about. It can be any movie. Yeah, because I don't know when we're going to get to any the movie where that movie. gets brought up. Yeah. So. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. 
this, I've got a lot to say, but what are your initial thoughts about this whole set piece with poor, uh, poor Randy? It's a lot of motion there. I love Randy's conversation with Ghostface and we know confirmed verbally that this is Mrs. Loomis on the phone and that kills um, Randy. Um, what I like about this kill, because it's definitely a surprise, um, is that you really don't feel like Randy's unsafe because he's in the middle of this open courtyard and there's people everywhere so like broad daylight broad daylight so you don't see this death coming i remember being fucking shocked watching this i did not think that randy was going to die what i think about a lot is if gail did answer the phone would it have been her Mm. or was the intention because mrs loomis makes it sound like she actually was just fucking with them but then Randy made it close to the van. How did she get in that van? Like lots of questions there. But I I do like that he gets like snatched up real quick. Love the guys walking by with the fucking boom box. Hot and that, that is so, so good. Um, so that's really fun. And I know a lot of people were really pissed that Randy died. And at the time, before seeing any other Scream movies, I also was really pissed. But then I was like, oh, actually, it's okay. Like, I think it it served its purpose of, like, a really brutal kill. You get to see Sydney grieve. And it fucking shocked everyone. Because, again, Randy was selling you the movie in the, tra- in the first trailer. And he was doing the same thing in the second trailer with this kill scene. I love the showgirls joke. Um, so dumb. It's so dumb, but it's so good. Um, So, yeah. So I think it just really, I think it really just shook things up. And you were like, oh, shit, no one's safe. But because it happens, I think it's like exactly halfway through the movie, which I can't believe we're only halfway through. It it does feel like to a certain extent, like I knew Gail and Dewey were safe because I'm like, you can't kill two out of out of the like returning survivors like i just didn't see that happening so after he died i felt like everyone else was safe if that makes sense really because i was gonna say after randy dies and then dewey gets attacked in the in at the school later on i was like i think it was the first time watching it i was like fuck dewey's gone too god damn oh i thought he was dead i Um, thought he was dead but like in that moment of seeing Randy die, I was like, oh, we're good. But then, yeah, when when you get to that that like longer chase scene with Gail, I did think that that was Dewey's end as well. Two fake outs for Dewey. I read somewhere that it was kind of one of those because the audience wanted Dewey to live and, and especially the reaction, you know, people really liking Dewey from the first one and saving mm-hmm. him. He like a, a, a allegedly just letting dewey live through the first one kind of sealed the deal that randy was absolutely going to die um yeah at least according to kevin williamson because and you got that romance going it's... between dewey and gail oh i thought you were talking about randy i was like no randy? no he's not no randy. the yeah. romance between dewey and gail so right. like to to tear that apart also takes a whole nother you know piece of the plot away but you know gosh i just think back you know like with randy's death um 
yeah, you know, I think it was hard, you know, hard to swallow for me as a young kid watching these movies. Because again, me, like a lot of young boys were projecting themselves onto Randy, mm-hmm. all of our nerds. And we're like, oh, we want to like, you know, like we want to kind of be the hero, you know, and and have our knowledge of something we love so much kind of be the thing that helps everybody along yeah you know? so so then yeah again like you said it's just like he is introducing like these rules to us like for both movies and then if he dies you're just like well fuck well, what the fuck's gonna happen and you don't get you know a whole lot of time i mean i don't know i guess it goes with that library scene next but a couple things you know I, I I like this conversation a lot. I mean, like, yes, does it kind of, you know, veer a little bit into, you know, some, frankly, compared to everything we've watched, uh, very light homophobia in <laughs> compared to. Oh, what did he say? Uh, oh, he says ho- homo repressed mama's boy. Yeah. And I mean, in his assessment, like, I do think that there was some, some tent, some sexual tension between him and Stu. Yes. So probably not entirely off but um but yeah i would just again you know talking about like a lot of these kills being in public so it's like you you don't feel safe anywhere if you Mm -hmm. can broad daylight right you can get this you know middle-aged woman can snatch you into a van and murder the shit out of you like a full-grown man yeah and just what I appreciate too much, you know, uh, too with these movies in this scene in particular is like, yeah, when they really like kind of uh, flip the script on horror tropes, whereas mm-hmm. I just can't think of for the life of me, like when you see women killed in horror movies, men killed in horror movies, men, it's always quick stab through the stall and you die or your you know your guts get fucking unloaded like off screen and you have to turn the lights off or it's it's always not very for like, jared padalecki not for jared padalecki but that was going to be how many years later like nine years after this mm-hmm. movie um eight years i think but i was just trying to think of the last time like a male character was like stalked like that and fucked with like that before he was killed because usually that's i mean i'm thinking of all the long scenes who all has a scene with ghostface who's the only other man to have talked to ghostface up until this point oh on the phone yeah Mm. i appreciate that and especially again maybe i'm just reading too much into it like that's where randy also gets his false sense of safety um is because you're definitely reading too much into it i know horror movies (laughs) i know i'm a dude i'm out here in the middle of nowhere i don't get killed this way in horror movies but alas he does so again i don't think that was always planned but i do think that is a valid way to read that you know that wrinkle Hmm. as well um because you don't see it in horror movies like you think that's part of his his cockiness Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, that's that's how I'm reading it now. The other thing. Too... Oh, I didn't read it at all that way. I read it as like the cockiness on the phone call was like he felt 100% safe because it was daylight in public. He's got Gail and Dewey searching the perimeter. You know, looking at all the people that are on the phone. Which, like, I don't know, if I was Ghostface, like, I wouldn't just be standing in the middle of the park making that phone call. Like, I'd probably be in, you know, a nearby building or something, like, watching from a window, like, or or from a news van. Um, 
but yeah, I never, I, yeah, I, I never read it that way. I think it only, it, I think it, you know, again, I'm, I'm filling this out when it's not necessarily there, but again, I, I, I do think that that could be just, you know, that underscoring of this false sense of safety because he is in a position where for a number of reasons, the public, the daylight, and then even the way he's being taunted by the killer, like he knows mm -hmm. that there is that false sense of security based off everything he knows in horror movies. He thinks he's okay in this scene. And, and again, a guess, right? But I would think if someone is that invested in horror movies and knows these beat for beat, I think that, I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a stretch to assume those, yeah. uh, you know, unconscious also kind of intentions i don't know the other thing too um someone had said that there is a clue that the killer is a woman in this mm. scene and it's because right. when you open the when they open the uh van door and they see randy lying there and dead um on his hand you see oh, like oh yeah yeah but what looks like almost like a lipstick like but like mm -hmm. in like someone kissed his hand or something and i watched yeah. it again like just to look for that specifically and like yeah it does kind of look like that on his hand mm -hmm. like why well, she would have been wearing the mask yeah and why would she do that anyway like she wouldn't oh, just be like goodbye yeah <laughs> nice it's little just, kiss to the hand just a little mm. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah not I'm even like... a kiss just like placing your lips just limply on <laughs> yeah just, that's the sound blah, blah, blah. Yeah, just, so now i just imagine that um i've seen that i've seen that theory too i not it's to dumb. like not to call anybody out here but i think it was just bad blood work on the hand like just i bad think so too job. yeah so smeared okay. and that didn't look like debbie salt's color <laughs> I'm this gonna, is where joel uh, quits yeah joel very <laughs> rightly fucking quits. good job good job joel and maybe to try to make you think he's a red herring because you don't see him at all until the, the end. Yeah. But and he disappears. No, no. And he disappears right before Randy picks up the phone. So he says he's going to get Duncan like he's going to. Well, he doesn't say he's going to get the donuts, oh, right. but that's what he comes back with. And I'm like, he could have gotten a dozen donuts while while being on the phone, honestly. Um, there must have been a Dunkin' Donuts on campus because I don't know how he would have been yeah. able to make make it that far. Just within and he the didn't drive the news van. Didn't Obviously, he didn't drive the van because that would have saved lives. Maybe not his. Um, um, you have that one scene in between where they're at the library and she gets that IM on her computer, which I'm yeah. like, they're still figuring out how internet works <laughs> in in movies yeah. in the '90s. So you're like. Oh, okay. Why how, would your computer it... freeze? Oh, it's because you have an instant message. You know how you have an instant message and it just freezes everything <laughs> on your computer. And also, even if you're not online, all of the computers can talk to each other and you yeah. but you don't know which one is sending you a message. Yeah, that would be a terrible situation for like predators or like a yeah. good situation for predators, like a bad situation for anyone else. Right. And then you get this scene with Cotton, right? Just to make sure. Where he's just you know, a he's completely, a completely different character than he was yeah. at the beginning of the movie and a completely different character again than he'll be 
at the end of the movie. So like, that's an interesting thing for like Cotton. And like, it feels so forced. Did you think that Cotton was the killer at any point? Never, ever, ever, ever. I definitely knew Mickey was one of them, but I never would have, never would have guessed Debbie Salt. That was a good surprise. So he thinks it's a good idea to fucking corner her and like, you know, man, he gets, he gets really up in her business. He is touching her a lot. He needs to fucking stop. Um, Especially when I'm like, dude, like, I don't know. Like he's, he says, he says over and over in the sheriff's station, how he's or police station, whatever, but how he's, you know, I'm an innocent man. Is this what happens when you treat innocent people? I look forward to getting back no, to you my assaulted life as her. an innocent person. And I was like, first of all, bro, like there is a clear That's physical difference. Assault. Well, he's saying he's innocent for yeah. being cleared murder. of the of murdering yeah. Maureen Prescott. But I'm like, first of all, bro, like, sure, you didn't kill her, but you were getting involved in some shit that innocent people just don't get involved with so even if (laughs) even if you're innocent dude you're not your moral compass is still not you know what it could be yeah like you're 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 not guilty that does not mean that you're innocent two different things yeah and like it would it would implicate you pretty hard if the person whose like friends are all dying around them you are trying to force into doing an interview with you because it seems like, hmm, maybe I'll just kill a couple people to make interest peak again in Sydney and me in that situation and I can get paid for some interviews. Like, he has a strong motive, really. Um, So, yeah, like, he, he needs to fucking bite his tongue and shut the fuck up. But at the same time, I say that. As someone with a temper, if I was wrongly accused of murder and spent a year in jail, I'd be like, no, no, no. You are not believing that girl again. I feel like she was wrong the first time. I may have been wrong in this situation, but I didn't murder anybody. Like, I probably would fight the cops on that, too. Well, you know what? That's that's what you get for having that secret affair, you know? Like, sorry, bro. But again, it doesn't make him a murderer. You enter into an unspoken contract when you're having an affair with somebody that if they mysteriously die, you're the prime. People are suspect. gonna think it's you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you want? What? Or it's or it's the husband, and, you know. So I don't know. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, so Joel quits and mm-hmm. allegedly Joel leaves his tape. All, leaves all his tapes but i guess took his vcr with him because uh Dewey <laughs> they have Gale, to go find that vcr like literally they're like oh like i mean it's 1997 is it that hard to find a vcr like um i mean not at this like film school it shouldn't be um there's... i mean or just or like did joel like take like the van with him like i guess does, does all that belong they to don't him? show the van the they union? don't show the van again i guess so... it's a crime scene so never mind <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they they took the van um i also like so when they're watching this footage like you obviously start seeing like all the sparks fly between gail and dewey here which is really fun like the little smirks and you know her saying that she feels bad and all of that but how does this VCR TV camera situation work? Because they're supposed to be watching a tape of pre-recorded camera footage, which 
doesn't matter how the tape got there. They're seeing the footage from the killer. But then it cuts to the video of them on the TV. Now, we could pull this off now in 2024. How is this working in 1997? Do you have an explanation for this? Um, I mean, I'm not even certain how easily you could do that now. I mean... I mean, if it was like... If it was... um, What the fuck am I talking about? If it was like a... Oh my God, me trying to explain technology. I love Here it. I go. go for it. Here I go. If it was like a Wi Fi camera situation, like, you know okay. how you can have like a camera that watches like your dog when you're not home? Oh my God, I sounded like I was from New Jersey for a second. I'm so sorry, everyone. But like, watches your dog while you're not home and like it Wi Fi's to you on your phone. Yeah. Right. Is it, it Wi Fi to you? Is that what it does? I love that. So you're right. They we didn't have this technology in nineteen ninety-seven. I um, mean, if I can barely explain it now, we definitely couldn't have pulled it off in nineteen ninety-seven. I'm literally crying. It's not even like they're using like high-end equipment. They're using like that thing that you know, that the TV on the roller that you'd push into <laughs> like on video school? movie day, like into your like high school classes. So how <laughs> the fuck is that connected in real time wirelessly to a a video camera which of course obviously it was mickey because it's like who's the only one walking around with a video camera again people just don't do that so yeah like that that was not again like blast from the past like people weren't just going around taking videos of things and themselves like they do now all day every day so that that's a fun little you know i'll let it slide because we get to see dewey and gail making out doing their thing yeah. and then it goes into like one of the best ever chase scenes in horror yeah probably one of my favorite ghost face set pieces even if it doesn't result uh um even if it doesn't end in a death um mm-hmm. another thing random in that auditorium like at the top there's a stab poster and i'm like first of all y'all this movie like, just came out one this movie <laughs> how did just you came get that out. two i mean again these are like two students that go to your school were like traumatized I didn't by this. think about that <laughs> and you're putting up this fucking poster it's just so like how do you like I I just don't know. I don't know, but I thought that was funny. So but good. yeah, this chasing's um really good. Yeah, I love using the uh like the soundproof windows. Oh, the soundproof glass in. is so fun. Um, that's yeah. such a that was such a like creative, just a creative way to to do it. And I like you know Gail having to see Dewey getting stabbed from the other side of the glass. I also love mm-hmm. that he just randomly steps in pizza yeah just to like throw him off like he just like it's like ah oh, like sticky cheese on my shoe like like that's his biggest problem until he gets stabbed right. um, um i yeah it's it's a it's a good one yeah if dewey well and especially looking at what happened to him in this movie it's like oh okay i mean i guess i would believe that he'd live in the first one he just got that one knife in the back whereas fuck this one like and that's why i was thinking the first time watching it, i was like dude he's definitely dead because they are not yeah. fucking around this time uh um, yeah like but- we had to probably 
like reattach a bunch of things. And now we're stabbing into scar tissue like yeah. several times. I mean, whoo, Dewey, like he's a fucking cat. That's he's rough. Lives, man. And that's, uh, that's the last we see of, uh, you know, Dewey. Little, yeah. little dew drop until uh, <laughs> he shows up. It, well, on the stretcher at the end of the movie but surprise gosh, surprise again uh but just thinking like how uh, just that feeling of knowing that well one you know you saw dewey just in your eyes get fucking murdered in front of you mm -hmm. right you're being chased ah uh, when when ghost face is like picking up the chairs and throwing them at the window mm -hmm. and it's it all just breaks down Oh, which is very out of corner. character for her but she was like heartbroken in that moment knowing just that feeling of and even when Ghostface leaves mm -hmm. that i don't know it's like you, you be in that position and think like how long do i need to wait here to make sure he's gone especially yeah. when or is he gonna find another way in like is he gonna pop out of that vent and dewey can't hear me i can't hear him he's very likely dead but what if he's alive mm -hmm. and bleeding out and me you and can't Ghost save Face him. Is already gone. i can't save Ugh. him it's all thinking of all those things together i don't know i wouldn't have waited i've, I've been like i'm sorry i'm here all night sorry y'all i'm here yeah. until the I'm, I'm here until the janitor shows up if i know or until clearly... like the class comes to use the fucking av room like i yeah yeah i i completely agree and then on top of that like when she finally does exit the room you've got a literally cotton caught red-handed you know with just blood all over his hands and of course gail's like okay like now things start ramping up fucking fast i'm like uh, bro like cotton like read like just the fucking just uh, the most read the room thing ever don't bro, touch the body don't you've touch been the convicted body. of murder before and and or if you do like you need to be like, I need to go wash my hands before yeah. anyone else sees me because fuck. Yeah. Uh-oh, this is bad. He also had blood like on his like neck and shit too. So I'm like, yeah, Let's... like what were you, were you hugging him? Like what, yeah. what were you doing? What were you doing? So <laughs> were you giving him a little kiss on the hand? <laughs> yeah, that's this little <laughs> thing. It's just a little, <laughs> just right <laughs> the end. But, oh my gosh. So... <laughs> she makes her you know so gail makes her way out she's like cotton's the fucking killer finds debbie takes her of phone. course debbie salt is just conveniently there in the middle of the night on the payphone funny enough how that is right mm -hmm. and then we cut to um you know sid is getting escorted with hallie and the uh mm -hmm. security um says her whatever goodbyes to Derek and Derek's just mm -hmm. like, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll be back here. Cause it'll much. always be here. Or when all this, when here. all this is over, I'll still be here, which right. feels very like, does that mean you'll still be here for me? Or like, I'm going to be dead and you'll still be alive because you murdered me. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's close enough to, I'll be right back. <laughs> so maybe that's what happened. Maybe, is, yeah, like close enough, rules. bro. Broke the rule. Yeah. You're dead. Um, yep. so Derek then in the meantime gets kidnapped and by mm -hmm. the, uh, by the frat, um, for mm -hmm. giving away his, his letters and all of mm -hmm. that. So, which is, which is perfect because now Derek's tied up and you're like, okay, now he can't be the killer because he's literally tied to a fucking star and yeah. partying with a bunch of, uh, frat boys. 
Um, and then we get to a few different deaths in the set piece. So um, many times. Yeah. And where, so much suspense. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the more brutal death with the second security guard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely get that pole because then you see, like, even when the pole comes out, like, you see, like, fucking, like, a piece of, like, ear, like, you know, and some, like, hair, it's like, so still, good. like, on the pole. It's, yeah, it's, that's pretty good. That's probably the most that's got to be the goriest thing in this movie oh, for sure yeah. so i think i don't know if it's like just that he one didn't deserve shot. that yeah fuck i no. feel bad for those guys yeah i don't know and then of course they crashed the car after ghostface has made his way inside he's driving they crashed the car mm-hmm. and you have the scene with hallie and sid um you know sydney realizes that that gate that you know mm-hmm. grading between you know the front seats and the back seats is open and they're like all right guess we gotta crawl through this hole crawl over Ghostface's body and then out the driver's side window yeah i'm like and was then, there nothing you could use to stab him in that moment like nothing. i also right? in that I, in that moment what really could have maybe saved their asses a little bit is like sydney just take that mask off just take it off yeah. If they're awake, they're going to come after you. And if they're not, then now you at least have the advantage of knowing who it is to report them. And then I'm even then I'm like, uh, like, it's it's a great set piece. Love you know, the horn. I think for the suspense. Horn hawking is really good. This is, don't do that again. I love how Sydney gets out and then you have to realize, oh, fuck, Hallie's got to do it, too. Yeah. Um, And everyone thought Hallie was going to die right at that moment. So that was a fun little um, fun little fake out, too. Though I'm like, if this person's knocked out, a little noise is especially going to be crawling right over them. Like, if that's going to wake them up, like, why can't you again? Why can't you kick out that window? Like, have you not like I know what you did last summer. It came out a month prior. You can just kick that window right the fuck out. We've seen people escape from a cop cop car. car. I mean, that's the thing. They really stretch like how easy it would be to get out of a cop car. Now, given I've never been in the back of a cop car. I have. um, But (laughs) really interesting. (laughs) We'll hear that story in a bit. Um, But like, I just don't see those windows or even that metal grating, even though the pole went through it. Like that doesn't seem like it's not like fucking unrolling your aluminum foil and shit. Like. That is yeah. that is hard ass metal, but horror movies will make you think that it is the easiest thing in the world to get out of a, the back of a cop car. Yeah, yeah I mean, I guess yeah, I think, yeah. Comparatively, Sarah Michelle Gellar had a very easy time. Um, yeah, just kick that window, yeah. crawl out, you're good. Um, and it's, I think my, my the challenge with this one is that like, yeah, it's uh, you know a really good set piece, real fun, you know, very high t- attention, only for it just be like. Ugh, of course, she wants to go back and take the mask off. Mm-hmm. It's so it was so important to her. Now it wasn't so important to her when you had the perfect chance three minutes ago. And then again, you know, like I said, in a public setting, even though it's an empty street, you know. Mm-hmm. But then Hallie's like, "What the fuck's going on over there?" Mm-hmm. I did like I did like that. I I knew he wasn't going to be in the in the car anymore. Yeah, when she came back. No one thought. But, runs around and then stabs Hallie. Goodbye, Hallie. You know. So I yeah. felt it was kind of. Hers was kind of the weakest death. Hers is the weakest death. And it also is annoying because it shows poor character judgment in Sydney. And it seems out of character for her to put her friend at risk to see, to take this mask off after the fact. Like, 
that's one of the things I don't, another thing that I don't like about Hallie's death is that you're then like, Sydney, like, come on, make better choices. Like, why? Or like, Hallie should have gone with you so that the two of you could have like tried to kick his ass, you know, like if he did wake up. So yeah, yeah, that's, um, and obviously that's Mickey because he has the head wound when we see him again in a little bit. He and Debbie must have all known that Sydney was going to run to the theater. Yeah. Like one also somehow very circumstantial things happening in their favor. And I guess not everything needs to be as completely sequential as they're portrayed in the movie. Right. But for Mickey to somehow get Derek. Oh no, no, never mind, never mind, never mind. So yeah, Derek's Mickey, already there. Yeah. So I wonder if like Mickey already knew that and was like, I don't know. I just don't know how well that played off very, very yeah. perfectly. But it reminds way. me, it reminds me a lot again of urban legend when it's mm-hmm. like, how did you know she was gonna like be drawn to this area of the campus that you set up all these bodies? in this house and lit all the candles like you know and like the timing of how did you get from a car crash to the location that you're supposed to be in and be completely conscious and not fucking dizzy and limping so it's it's a similar similar situation two very different movies but um you just have to like just let it be and let the movie movie i like that but she does make her way to the theater where we have mm-hmm. our final kind of bigger set piece and we have our killer reveals. Um, you know, she gets shocking shocked. that Mickey's the killer when he wasn't in the fucking second half of the movie. That is a huge that's a huge problem for me. He isn't in the movie where he the last scene he is in is the I think I love you scene in the cafeteria. Yeah. And then you and don't then... see him. So you're like, obviously, Mickey's busy killing people. And I think what I like about, you know, those movies having two killers is that like, you know, maybe it is always supposed to be like one well, very one. fucking obvious killer. And then, yeah, you know, then that one you don't know. So even though, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Did you think it might've been Derek? Like when, when he starts, I did like how he starts like continuing to be like, thanks partner. I'd do the whole I, fucking thing myself tonight. You dickhead, you know? Yeah. I like I that. Like that. I like that bit that he does, but I still did not believe that it was that it was Derek, because if it was Derek, he would have immediately done like a little sly smirk or something up there, you know, and then been untied by Mickey. But like him, like being like, what? Like, fuck you. You know that he wouldn't have put on that. Can you imagine they put on a whole act and they're like, and scene Um, since they are on stage. But um. No, I still, I never thought it was Derek for a second. What do you feel about Derek, uh, Mickey's motivation here? He's like, he's yeah. one of the, you know, few killers. It's like, no, my, my intent is to get caught. Yeah. And he somehow thinks like, again, he's crazy. So of course the logic isn't always going to work out. Right. Um, but how do you think you were going to win that trial? Even with yeah. Cochran? Yeah, and also how. Um, like yeah, why does everyone think they can just get easily get an amazing lawyer? Um, I I don't hate Mickey's motive, but I definitely think it's silly, like without revealing too much, 
Mickey's motive is one of my least favorite of of the bunch that we've seen so far, or actually is my least favorite of the bunch that of these four that we have, mm-hmm. even though I don't even really know Stu's motive. So like the other thing too is like I think Timothy Oliphant sells it really well. I don't know what Wes was like directing him to do, but I felt like he was like just too elevated the entire time like it didn't feel like when Stu did it and was like unhinged like this like exaggerated part of his personality it felt like I was putting on an act before and now I'm acting like I'm just like oh I'm so scary I'm a serial killer I'm so unhinged like everything to me feels like it's an act for Mickey and that really turns me off to him but once you introduce Mrs. Loomis and how she found him, like, in a serial killer chat room. Like, I think that's really fun. And, like, her paying his tuition. Like, that. I like that dynamic. But when it's just Mickey and he's just explaining his motive, I am I was very, like, disinterested. I mean, again, Eli talks about, he's like, oh, you know, especially with all the violence in cinema and this and this and this. And I'm like, bro, if you're, like, a horror movie fan, it would not be in your best interests no as one would we, want to do that as we see with i'm sorry with a later entry um mm-hmm. i'm not getting electric shocks y'all i'm sorry that was that was, yeah. uh, was a bit um yeah you but can't go that far as we see real life violence does result in a very non-gory non-bloody sequel mm-hmm. you know so and it also affect like it affected many horror like any like real tragedies can affect horror uh, at the time or even like what type of horror people are willing to watch because like it can't hit too close to home and it also you know like depending on the decade depending on the year like people want a different way to be scared so like yeah as a horror fan i think we all know like you would never ever want to blame cinema violence for your actions because like these are movies we love these are movies we want to continue to see and like in fact most horror fans that i meet are some of the most like chill people and know how to deal with emotion and see terrible things and still like live their lives normally so you know it's um like fuck fuck mickey really like for trying to blame our favorite uh thing about movies like violence and murder on his actions that's that's fucked mickey you know what go cry about your mom somewhere else that's how i feel about that Makes you like um, less, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That was a good, that was a really good point. I, I do like, um, his exchange with Sydney and she like gives her a little line of you forgot. What did she say? You're forgetting one really important thing about Billy Loomis. And he's like, what's that? She's like, I fucking killed him. I'm like, yes, Sydney. Yes. Such probably. a good line. Probably my favorite line of the movie. Definitely. Yeah, it's so good because she's like, it's her way of saying like, and you're fucking next. Like, yeah, don't dude. do not fuck with Sydney Prescott. Um they have this yeah. half bullshit reveal of, you know, like who's behind door number two? And then you see Gail for a second. And you're like, no one thought it like, was Gail. Come on. No, it's not. Although Come I on, did I hated that Sydney goes, Gail. 
Like she thinks it's her. And I'm like, Sydney, come on, come on, girl. I mean, the last time Gail and Sydney interacted in this movie, <laughs> it was when she slapped her early on, right? I'm trying that, to think of other scenes. You know, that's true. That's a good point. Um, so. But I have to say, Lori Metcalf. Industry legend. As industry legend. How she plays this, this whole scene out from beginning to end the way she delivers her lines, her facial expressions, the way that she screams when she's trying to stab Sydney, when everything about her performance is absolutely flawless. She is the MVP of this movie, and it's such a good killer reveal. I absolutely adore her, and that white pantsuit, like, you're going to kill people at night in a white pantsuit – I just like that. That's what I got to say about that. She's she's so fucking good. She's just like as unhinged as uh, I don't know. It just reminds me of uh, Joan Cusack at the end of Adam's Family Values. Mm -hmm. I think both wearing white suits. Yeah, it is. It is like full. Like it feels full camp. Like the way that Laurie Metcalf is is playing this. And I only knew Laurie Metcalf from Roseanne, which was on TV a bunch when I was growing up. And dang good because yeah certainly certainly not typecast by any means no you know? no one able to play no that. one suspected her oh my gosh and when you know cotton of course enters the equation and cotton's being <sighs> back and forth of like should i let this innocent person die or should i yeah whatever 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 but like when um when debbie has got sydney and has the gun against her and then you know and then Sydney's begging with Cotton, like, help me, you know. And Cotton starts kind of working out, like, oh, well, fuck, Sid, you know, you did this and this and this. And just the look in Debbie's eyes, like, she's just gotten crazy eyes. They look like they're going to pop out of her fucking head. It's so good. I liked it being Billy's mother. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I think, you know, a movie that feels so big and so elaborate. All the deaths are so public, you know, mm-hmm. I think it, I appreciate that it comes back to like, no, this is just really about revenge. And yeah, I'm just, you know, I, and you think about it, like even regardless of how your son was involved mm-hmm. in this awful thing, someone killed your baby boy. You'd fucking go mm-hmm. at him. You know, from a mother's fucking... from a mother's perspective, absolutely, I would put on that white pantsuit and I would go fuck Sydney up. Absolutely, like it, serial yeah. killer or not, I'd be like, nope, nope, nope. Like I think you just wouldn't have logic. But um, I love like yeah, Sydney's just like no bullshit too with Mrs. Loomis. Like how she's just like yeah, you did a real bang up job. Like Billy was a good boy. Like she doesn't. She's like, shoot me, bitch. Like I'm gonna insult your son in my last fucking breath. Like I know I love that's that. what's gonna happen. But there's also like the whole fight. Okay, well, two things. I love that she's just so cocky that she's not even worried about killing Sydney or Gail before she takes out Mickey. She's like, there's not gonna be a trial, pat pat, and just kills Mickey right off the bat. You don't think he would have been helpful in? Yeah. He would have been totally helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then kill him afterwards. 
yeah, he wouldn't have seen that coming while you're trying to like set the scene. But yeah. I also really like there's that scene um, when Sydney and her are fighting. It's just the two of them. Gail's already been shot of Sydney behind that stage wall. And there's that little gunshot hole, that like little peephole. And you can see Sydney behind it. And you just see Laurie Metcalf's giant bulging eye just like wailing back and forth. Oh, God. It's like that is perfection. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, she's oh, she's just so amazing. And like, I do appreciate. I think this is where Cotton is my favorite because you really don't know if he was actually like questioning it. Like he's, you know, like I would, I would never hurt you kind of thing. Um, but I, I like his like goofy demeanor and how he hands the gun over to Sydney. Like when she asks for it, he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Of course. Like no problem. Just handing, handing her the gun. Cause clearly she's more comfortable with it than he is. I see what you mean, like, and just that that weird, just kind of tonal shift with him. Like, it's very jarring back and forth where, like, yeah, you're like, "Uh, the last time we saw you, man, you were, like, just cornering her, being real, you know, real. And why are you still at this campus? Really aggressive. Yeah, what are you still doing wandering around this campus? Yeah. And then, I just, yeah, I don't know. Whole thing. I don't know. Yeah, just a lot going on with Cotton. So... We have this big killer reveal. We have this whole back and forth. I mean, of course, you know, Gail's down for the count, but she's, you know, she'll she'll come back. She's not dead. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Um, Mickey's dead. For sure. And then, he's <laughs> right, doesn't Mrs. Loomis, like, first it's like, like all like the, the, the stones, like all fall on her kind of thing. And then Which, like, I'm she- like, how heavy are those pretend stones? Like, that seems like a safety hazard, like, She's like acting like they're actual rocks. I was like, I'm pretty sure like they would not put that in that set, especially yeah. if they're that easily being able to like able to like be knocked over. Um, also, I would have just jumped off that stage. Like, why? Why do you have to hang out on the stage? Yeah. Hop off. Dude, and I love how Sydney just like puts one right between her fucking eyes. Uh, just, I love that. Well, the first you just have to make sure. Gail, you have Gail and Sydney like unload on Mickey when he pops back up they're just like going for it and then cotton best line delivery ever he's like whoa <laughs> right after they <laughs> they shoot like he's just like fuck like they shot the shit out of him Dude, then, when he's like yeah, riding, yeah it's so good right in the head for uh for mrs loomis which is great um just just to be safe yeah and and like good on you good on you sydney like taking randy's advice R.I.P. And then, um, gosh, that really kind of wraps it up. We do, uh, we get this whole kind of, well, you find out Dewey's still still alive. So, hey, oh, hey. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know. And you see some emotion from Gail. Right. The Ice Queen starts to defrost. Right. Um, We'll see. We'll see where she is. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see where she is in Scream 3, everyone. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if it sticks. And... Gosh, and then you have just cotton, you know, like that really inappropriate, like, ah, it'll make a hell of a sequel. And I'm like, so many people are dead. You all need to stop making jokes about sequels when people are dead. Stop, because all you did, again, all you're you're doing is just giving more validity to (laughs) 
what they wanted was to create this fucking horror sequel. Yes. Stop it. Yes. And then um, <laughs> you've got the reprise of that awful, awful, awful Counting Crow song. It plays at the end of a uh, mm-hmm. the the cafeteria scene, right when they, you know, yes, and then they kiss and all oh that. yeah, they play they play it twice. They play it fucking twice. Oh, it's so you're absolutely right. It's so awful. At least it kicks in with that like that like punk version of I think I love you after that when they show everybody's um like the still shots of the cast you know like I said I like less than Jake they did their 30th anniversary tour for hello rock view and they made a double a vinyl album of it and I got two copies one that I mailed to your <laughs> husband because we're very yep. sweet did you know that the last song on the second album they included their cover of I think I love you on that I did not. I'm surprised I haven't heard it in my living room because you buying that one vinyl or like three vinyls for him. We now have a record player, a table for the record player, two giant speakers and two speaker stands on the way. So that's thanks a lot. I mean, if you've got a good turntable and good speakers, like ah, vinyl does sound better. I I, I feel like I've it's just the the work that has been put into this like it was the whole the whole birthday theme has been this vinyl situation so well, i love it well, if you want to listen if you want to listen to that lesson j cover like you know in its best audio format you can i'll just that, blast it in the living room absolutely you've got a way to do it um and i think it's the last song so you don't get any more lesson jake songs after it if you put so okay. maybe that's an incentive to you I don't know. I'm just thinking 1997, you're doing uh, that song for Scream 2. And I think this is still the same year Good Burger came out. And they did that song with Kel Mitchell. The I'm a dude, he's a dude, she's I a dude. I love that. That's I him singing it. lead, but the band is less than Jake. So oh, I'm I didn't like, know that. So, you know, hey. That's fun. Let's, okay. I'm not going to say industry legends, less than Jake. <laughs> but... I'm going to throw it out there. But yeah, that Counting Crows song is fucking terrible. Um, and again, I just like, as much as I do like the soundtrack and it's very 90s, it's just like how just, again, just inappropriate, like a lot of this music is. Not that it's like, oh, like, you know, oh, this is inappropriate, like offensive. It's just inappropriate. Like this, I, you, if you made this movie right now, again, with the same script, you would not use like an Everclear needle drop after Sarah Michelle Gellar gets thrown to her death. It's so, but again, I, I don't know if it's intentional to like, well, one, I think this sequel was such a big deal that everybody wanted in on it. I'm sure the mm-hmm. studio was like, oh yeah, we need all of these artists, all these songs in. Where can we course, throw them in? And then they probably wanted to broaden the appeal of this. That's why I do think that, eh, I don't think it's that much that gorier than the first one but Mm. it has it just feels more like it has more kills and i think that's how they justify that so we went from six kills including the killers in the first film to 11 kills including the killers in this film so we almost doubled our body count yeah so that's i just think the movie feels a lot more like uh mtv influenced 
the second time yeah. around. It feels a lot more pop. It feels a lot more like, and, yeah. but again, like what I, what I liked about these movies is like, gosh, I just don't remember the last time, like a horror movie was kind of treated like this summer popcorn spectacle. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, like they, like it was the like teen summer hit, like, and they knew yeah. everyone was going to go out to see it. No, I absolutely agree. I feel like it really held a special place and like everybody wanted a piece of it. And that's why like, so I think this cast is so fucking gigantic. Like, mm-hmm. let's see, did we forget anybody from the list? No, we got everybody. Yeah, we did mm-hmm. a good job. Yeah, we did. Good job on us. So we made our way to the end of this movie. Gosh, there's got to be taglines for this, right? There are, but like we're coming down from a high from the first scream because that mm. was a lot of time. It was 14, I believe, because we had 13 for Friday the 13th, mm. 14 for scream. And then we're going down all the way to seven. For the for sake of time, one. that probably is a little better. It's Yeah, it Am is. I... And also one of them is the same, just with different punctuation. Oh, weird. See, I was going to say that I would assume some of them are someone's taking their love of scary movies too far this one would be someone's taking their love of sequels too far yeah, kind of, of situation course, of right course. that it just okay, plays way on to the spoil it kyle i'm sorry but hey go ahead tell me what's, what's so, some taglines one of them is someone has taken their love of sequels one step too far with a period okay. so it's a statement like we're just yeah. saying it casually the next one is someone has taken their love of sequels one step too far exclamation point so we're exclaiming that they've mm. taken their love of sequels one step too far. I'd say oh. several steps though. Like one step too far feels like an understatement. Like yeah, I think you, I you've think really a, taken it too far. There's a lot of healthy steps you could have taken before <laughs> getting before to that, that one point. step of I agree of killing eleven people. Yeah, or I'm sorry, nine people. There's a killer on campus making more calls, making more kills. Never seen that one. Yeah, I've never heard that one before, but I don't mind it. Yeah. The next one is Randy's rules. It just says rules of a sequel. One, body count is always bigger. Two, the death scenes are much more elaborate. Three, what was it? Never assume my, the killer's my, dead. I'd never assume the killer's dead. So I don't think that that should. I mean, maybe it was in all the trailers. So they were like, who cares if it's a tagline? Gorier, sexier funnier i would say not gorier it is a pretty mm. sexy cast yes yeah, real sexy but we don't get we don't get any like any sexualness really in this movie where like as you get like billy and sydney having sex in the first movie do we um, get some do we get to hold on to some boob i do think it's fun i do think it's funny i'll give them that i don't know if it's funnier yeah, I don't know if it's funnier than the first one. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, then we have it's showtime. Hmm. I feel like they could they were like, what what ideas do we have here? Yeah. Um, I think this one is my favorite, other than someone has taken their love of sequels one step too far. That's our like predictable one, is Scream Again. Which I think was originally one of the maybe possible titles. Like the titles. Yeah. yeah. Which I wouldn't have been against, but then they would have had to do something like that every time there was a sequel. And I think they thought about that and were like, Ugh. yeah. 
maybe it's just scream two yeah it's like they ran into that really quick with i know what you did last summer where it's like i don't know how many times you can like but also i know what you did last summer too sounds stupid i hope they do make a new one and they say like i still know what you did last summer like i know what you did 25 summers ago yeah however long it's fucking bad i know yeah that's our um, that's our taglines not as strong not as strong as uh scream but there was a lot of bullshit taglines for scream like don't answer the phone don't try to escape don't do cartwheels like it was there were just so many rules um of things that you couldn't do that weren't mm. even you know listed in the movie so those are our taglines dang okay i appreciate that yeah, um so, as always oh go ahead i was gonna say boost i'm ready scores. i'm ready to get in some boost scores oh i am too okay I never start with a boost score in mind. It's always it's not always even when, for this one. And nah, it's always when we get here. I mean, I've got a couple ideas of where, you know, yeah, you know, I'm just I, what I like is I've got a range and our conversation settles me where I land, mm. you know, because who, who else? other to bounce my thoughts off of with, you know, and who's whose opinion right like mm-hmm. would i value more right so i think there's been plenty of times you've you've given me some some eye-opening thoughts you know so same same you've changed you've changed my score to things before too so yeah, same but mm-hmm. you want me to go first yeah okay so um yeah i do struggle with this one too um a lot of people will say they like this one better um i disagree i disagree too and you know i think some of it is because maybe you know it's just really hard it's like a diminishing returns situation where it's just it's Mm. never and then especially with it's really good it's really really good i like it i know i it's because i'm just kind of struggling with it where i want to add another half a boo but um I will wholeheartedly give this four boos. Wow. I'm surprised. Four boos. This okay. movie is. I thought you were going to go higher. Yeah. I think this movie it's because rank is I was, I was five for the first one. And mm-hmm. so I was struggling between four and four and a half with this one. Okay. Um, I am going to, I think just stick with four because uh i i i don't know this has a lot to do like i don't know i don't know if are you grading it on a scream scale or are you grading it on a like on our normal boo scale i'm trying to use just our normal boo scale Okay. So I'm so I'm saying that this is as good as Urban Legend, or Urban Legend is as good. <laughs> that's as what this I'm. Movie. That's that's what I'm wondering. That's what I'm wondering. And you know, like I said, it's all you know. That's why, like, I struggle with like, uh, do I give it that four and a half? Um. So clearly, so your ranking then for the movies, of course, would then be Scream, Scream Two, for now. Yeah, I think it is not as scary as the first movie and again i agree being, scaring me does not have to be like this you one's know, more suspenseful it's got some bigger set pieces um i i like the inventiveness of randy's death um i like the opening quite a 
bit, even though I don't even know. It, yeah, I don't know where I'll land with my openings as we go. Um, I just, man, I love Mrs. Loomis. She's mm-hmm. fucking great. That whole, that performance is fantastic. Um, though outside of her, I don't think I like any of the new cast better than the supporting mm-hmm. cast and killers of the first movie yeah, you know so not to knock they just don't you know i just hallie doesn't have as much to do as tatum you know mm-hmm. and and isn't given a couple like extra layers i mean if anything she's just kind of uh, kind of a retread a little bit and then mm-hmm. you know i like jerry o'connell but like he's a you know he's not i don't know okay you better you better stop it you need to <laughs> fucking stop it is late and you are over here just just shit talking on jerry o'connell industry yeah. legend jerry o'connell industry Kyle. legend jerry o'connell you're absolutely yes. right so oh i God. i'm gonna give this a four right now it could bump up to a four and a half this movie is great it's a classic i've seen it a million times i'm gonna see it a mm-hmm. million times more mm-hmm. um i just four and a half i don't know if if the gap between scream one and two is that close you know mm-hmm. that just only a half a boo would separate oh, you're gonna them. have you're gonna have so much fun with my boo score then because and i might want to keep that four and a half for another movie down the road mm. okay okay you're going to love this. Okay, so first I'm going to remind everyone of my three reasons why this is not the superior film to Scream. Because okay. for all of you out there who think Scream 2 is better, I'm going to remind you, and you can say that these things don't matter, I would, lo- I would love to get some feedback if y'all don't agree with us on this. Number one, the unlikely nature and circumstances of the opening kill. Lot of circumstances working in our killer's favor for this. It feels wild to me. Number you don't two. like how uh you don't like how my 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 framing of it, how this is completely random circumstance. No. He was <laughs> no sorry, go ahead. Number two. Okay. Number two, we brought up the plot of the name order killing, where it was like Maureen Evans, Phil Stevens, Cece Cooper. Oh, her name's actually Casey. Didn't need to bring it up. Didn't need to have that scene. No reason for Dewey and Gil to be there. We drop that plot. That that has always bothered me. Maybe. And then David number three. Just wanted an extra scene with his dad. Yeah, seriously. They were just like, leave that in there. They're cute together. Yeah. Um, and then number three, Mickey is missing. Like more than the second half of the movie. So even though he's your obvious killer, that has bothered me every time I watch this movie. Now, that being said, I fucking love this movie. I have probably seen both of them equal amount of times. Like I rewatch it all the time. I think it's definitely fits into the category of comfort movie for me. And I'm not grading on a scream scale. I'm grading on is this movie in my list of my top favorite movies? Would I recommend it to anyone? And is it my favorite sequel ever? I think there's one other that's tied. But this is one of my favorite sequels. I'm giving it five boos as well. Fuck yeah. 
Yeah. So I'm going, I'm going a little bit against my own rules here. It doesn't mean that they're evenly matched. I like Scream better, but Scream 2 is such a close second, even after all that shit I talked. I love this movie. I I would even defend the things that are wrong with it because it's such a fun movie that like when I'm watching it, it doesn't bother me. But afterwards, I'll be like sitting there thinking about it the next day, doing my makeup, like, but where the fuck was Mickey? No one asked where Mickey was, like things like that, that, you know, like get to me afterwards, but it's just so fun. So we have our film rankings now. So this is what I'm really excited about to dig into is your killer rankings. I want to know. So we started off, we were both aligned in the first movie. We put Stu above Billy. Mm-hmm. We've got two more killers on our hands. So where do Mrs. Loomis and Mickey fit into this for you? Dang. Oh my gosh. It's so hard. I don't know who I want to put first. I can okay. go first if it, if you if you want, since you went first for boost score. Okay. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel I feel really good about my ranking. Do you want me okay. to start from number four and work my way down for dramatic effect? Ooh, okay. Let's both start at number four. Okay, because we both know it's Mickey. We both know it's Mickey. Okay. Number yeah. four is Mickey. Okay. Yeah. Number three for me is gonna be Billy. He's he's been bumped back. Yeah, me too. Okay. 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 Let's see if we can keep this going. Number two is going to be Mrs. Loomis for me. Yeah, you and I have the same ranking. Yes, yeah, Stu's still okay. number one. And Stu's love- still number one. Okay, the reason why Laurie Metcalf fucking kills it, but Stu is an active character in the first one, interacting with the group, and is in the entire movie. So I'm impressed by that, and I was shocked by Stu being the killer. Like, I will never forget when he said, like, surprise, Sydney. I was fucking surprised, that's for sure. So I I still am keeping Stu at number one. Yeah, I go Stu, Debbie, Billy, Mickey. Yeah. Yeah, same. All now, right, better killer orders. If you, because I asked this last time, I know we're going long. We, were, we knew we were going yeah. to, it's okay. I mean, um, like, if you've got a long commute, this is going to get you through, like, three or four drives. If you could replace the killers with anybody else in this movie, but remember, now you can do just one killer, or you can replace one of the killers and have it be just two killers, an original one and, and a new one, or mm-hmm. you can replace both. Um, so other than that, that's really the limitations of those rules. But I'd like to ask you, who would you have liked to have seen be the killer instead of, it's it's hard when Mrs. Loomis gives you such a fucking tour de force performance but any ideas well i'm going off of our rules for last time that i can keep one of the original killers and swap out another i would have loved to see two female killers and i would pop hallie in there now i say this because one i like the idea of two female killers i think we could have just checked that off the list um and two Anyone really could have filled the role of Mickey, like with that motive. So I think that would have been fun. But also, like, I think it would have given Hallie, I would have liked to have seen 
Elise Neal like really like go nuts like and and lean into that too and just have these two like just bug-eyed like they could both be bulging out eyes like you know going after Sydney and there could be any random motive that she could have but like I would have just liked to see her do more like I feel like her character is similar to like Brandy and I know what you did last summer where they're like we need to cast a person of color let's have it be the best friend and give her no defining characteristics and mm -hmm. call it a day like I think that would have made more sense as to why she would want to be Sydney Prescott's roommate because like we said anybody would have been booking it out of there um and it just would have given her like like more time to shine so I think that would have been fun yeah, you probably you? honestly with Mickey, if Mickey isn't the killer, you don't need Mickey at all in this movie. No, like just the character, you could just be gone. And so yeah. that's why, and that's why Mickey's at the bottom of our killer lists. But mm -hmm. love to Timothy Oliphant. But mm -hmm. for me, I agree. Two female killers, wonderful. Mm -hmm. So Rebecca Gayhart and Portia de Rossi. <laughs> Um, you you just swap them both out the sorority girls what do you have a motive for them too well i mean you get i didn't have one before the episode but you gave me one that like maybe they were one of the understudies so i filled the motive pissed. gap i love that i and love it the other ones like you know <laughs> everyone's talking shit on them you know being soror you know being in a sorority and like they've been nothing but kind and inviting the whole time right so that's true that's true they were like you know they weren't trying to do any like you know inappropriate means of trying to get sydney into the sorority you know no hazing and shit like that like they were they were like really just trying to recruit her and be nice or instead of cc and sarah michelle geller is the second killer oh i that i i love and, and just she could be like uh just sitting in that film class listening to you two idiots fucking misquote this and this and this and this and dudes just get to say whatever the fuck they want and have all these fucking opinions and blah blah blah, blah. i'll make your fucking scary movie you know that, this and this. that's a good one because you yeah. don't i mean you might know you might have seen her in other things but i don't know you don't get you never get to see sarah michelle geller go unhinged you know that's true so seeing her as the killer would have been fucking rad and yeah. she does lose her shit a couple times as buffy yeah. but like it's it's usually within reason like you're like no that's fair buffy like you've got it rough so i would have liked to see that but honestly i mean you know they had the alternate with i would have liked to see Derek and hallie too uh or mm. nobody wanted to see that fake ending with dewey but again you know hey clue clue walked so y'all could run so why are y'all no, not running it'd be Show me... so fun if we could get multiple endings of a scream movie maybe uh, hey that would get me to the theater several times if they did that for scream seven if they were like come see every ending yeah. i'd do it absolutely yeah. um one other thing i wanted to throw out since you know we're already going long anyway is yeah. um just to shit on rotten tomatoes again this movie has an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes and Scream 1 has an 81%. Those are some like low, that's a B, right? Like if you were going off of a grade percentage scale, 
obviously I never got B's or higher. Um, People just talk shit on horror movies. It's always hard. That's why I like the, the reviews for horror movies, you know, especially like when it comes, when you're talking about like a tomato score, like always start off really high because yeah. it's all the genre magazines. Remember Reanimator had first. 94%. Yeah, I guess you're right. But it's just like those movies that are that old. I don't know. I don't know who's like writing. Can you, can I write like a review for Ant- Reanimator right now? And then have, if, and have that affect the Rotten Tomato score. I mean, if I was actually like a legitimate. Well, it would know, have to be an audience. Reviewing. Score. IMDb lets any asshole just put stars on things because I'm that asshole. And then you could always yeah. start a letterbox too. So. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, eh, I don't know. I mean, I think those are pretty, pretty fair, I think. Like, yes. I mean, I don't know. I'm shaking my head at him, everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I think we talked about Scream 2 longer than Scream. Oh, Jesus. And we'll see. We'll find out when I when we get the audio. Um, <laughs> we start the editing. But yeah fuck i i think that's uh, all i've got and if there's anything the nice thing about being able to bring up prior movies is there anything i forget about this movie i get to bring you can say later yeah Yeah, exactly talk scream three and the conversation can change about prior movies as we go through the franchise because there's going to be things that might come up later that affect your opinion of a character or their arc or whatever it is so yeah, I think that that'll uh, that'll be fun. So for March, we'll be talking about Scream Three. Spoiler alert! It's the best one. <laughs> should be an interesting conversation. We're gonna see what happens when they're given the three years to follow <laughs> up, and turns out. No, You'd think this... more prep time would work, but apparently this team works well under pressure instead of having too much time. You know, like when you have like something that you need to turn in for work and if you have too much time to do it, you kind of like are lollygagging, dragging your feet, that kind of thing. But then if it's like due the next day, all of a sudden you can power through it. That's what yeah. Wes Craven and, and Kevin Williamson were able to do that second time. And then three years was too long. Yeah, and they were like, let's try 11 and see how that if that works. Let's easier. see, yeah, if we just, like, if we wait a little longer. Yeah, so, <laughs> gosh, that's, uh, yeah, for now, that's all I got on screen, too. Mm-hmm. Anything else? No, I would love to hear other people's killer rankings. I mean, you can you can stop at these four and rank them along with us, or you can tell us if you like Scream 2 better than Scream and why. We would we would love to hear it, although we won't agree with you at all. <laughs> it's like the people that, and I used to be one of these people. This is a 1997 reference, right? It's it's like the people that argue that Pinkerton's better than the Blue Album. It's oh, like, Jesus. look, Not y'all. Loser. It's like, look, y'all. I I get it, and it's cute where y'all are coming from, but <laughs> come on, the, the the Blue Album's perfect. Why don't you know this? This weird pervy version of it is it's maybe not the same equivalent, you know, but it's a sequel that some people argue is better than the original, you know, so. Like any Weezer fans out there? Yeah. 
No, just me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Cool. Take care. All right. Hell yeah. Oh my gosh. Three, two, one, ghost. Thanks for listening to our episode on Scream 2. If you'd like to know what we have coming up on the schedule, you can follow us on Instagram at 321GhostPod. We'd love to hear your Scream movie and killer rankings in the comments. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a killer review and subscribe to our podcast wherever you choose to listen. You can shoot us an email to share your thoughts, comments, or questions to 321GhostPod at gmail.com. We would love to hear your recommendations if you'd like us to chat about one of your favorite films. Next week, we're celebrating a holiday that admittedly doesn't have enough horror movies with 2001's Valentine. Thanks again for listening, and remember, Debbie Salt doesn't exist. Three, two, one, Ghostface. Ghostface.